The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review Power Struggle and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPWworld to the next level, you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? We're live, except it's not live. It's a podcast, but <laughs> to you and me, it, we're live. We live. <laughs> oh, man. You know, may, maybe it should be the last time we're live, you know. But Apparently the, the show it used to be good, <laughs> but it's not good anymore. I forgot about that. 
Yeah, some little punk bitch out there talking shit about the show. I actually, I don't even know where was that. That was a Apple Podcast review. Oh, they're Apple user. That makes sense. Oh, what's what's wrong with Apple users? The sheep. Oh, come on, come on. Lame ass. <laughs> You know, I, I use the galaxy like a real man. Mm. Yeah. Out, out in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. You know, if you if you listen to the podcast on Apple, like, I don't know. Well, considering that a uh, majority of our listeners are on Apple. <laughs> man, fuck the majority of the listeners. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, um. Yeah, somebody said the show used to be good. What's funny is uh, someone said the show used to be good, but now it's not. But they didn't say why. But that's straight. Like, whatever. It doesn't matter. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is, you know, the only thing I could figure is, like, maybe they're big-time Sonata fans or some shit like that, you know? Yeah. Or maybe Feeling some kind of way about their boy's tower right now. I don't know. They love House of Torture. Uh, Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but what's funny is the person's, uh, you know, I don't want to dox them but it is public info you can see it like their name's rk so you know randall keith orton i know that that's you ricky knight jr yeah <laughs> rick knox one of those two guys either them or rick knox like, one of those three guys i know it was one of them is probably like randy orton you probably heard us say like you know that he would suck if he was new japan or something yeah i had to have to lower our star rate average ridiculous Oh, did he give us a bad rating, too? Yeah, he gave us one star. Oh, shit. We never had a one-star show in the entire history. of the, Not since day one, my guy. Yeah, so Apple users, if you're out there, if, if you haven't left a rating review, leave a review, leave a rating so, you know, they can know the truth about this show. <laughs> yeah, and this guy does not want to run into you and I because we're real shooters. Yeah, we'll stretch him. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, yeah. Good. I got a good show coming up. Yeah. A lot, lots of stuff going on this week. I well, didn't watch most of it, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, first, we've got to start off with a uh, match of the month, wrestle of the month. So October is over. It's the first episode of November. Uh, so for the October match of the month, going to go with Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. from Royal Quest 3. Uh, absolutely incredible matchup from that show. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, kind of going back and forth between that and Chingo and Ishii, but I think between Cage Match, Dave, me, uh, the, the Ospreay-Sabre match was kind of the, the more highly rated and reviewed out there. Another great chapter uh, in their rivalry. What was it, that one app that used to exist? Uh, Grapple. Yeah, according to Grapple, <laughs> this was. <laughs> I, I miss Grapple. It was, that was such a convenient way for me to log all my star ratings. Is it? Does it still exist? Like, is that stuff there in perpetuity or no? So I think the app still is there. All your old stuff, but they're just not putting any new stuff on there. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, well, you know, I heard this match is really great. I might get around to watching it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably going to be an excursion uh, match of the year contender. What will? 
Actually, not right. It was a New Japan show. So it, yeah, what are you saying? I was just thinking because it was in uh, the UK, but it was not Red Pro Show. It was a, a, it was a New Japan. It's a New show. Japan show. So it'll probably it will probably be a match of the year contender. Uh, kind of racist what you just did. There. <laughs> uh, then for the wrestlers of the month, gonna go with Catch Two Two, Francesco Akira, and TJP. These guys had a great Super Junior Tag League tournament. Uh, they consistently consistently had some of the better uh, matches from the the whole tournament and tour. Uh, again, looking at cage match, my ratings, some other reviews. Uh, Catch Two Two was uh, kind of the highly talked about team throughout the tournament. Nice, Catch Two Two back in full effect. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about Power Struggle before we get there. Uh, just going to uh, run through what happened leading into Power Struggle. We had the conclusion of the tournament action for Super Junior Tag League. Uh, so we'll kind of run through these results and get to uh, Power Struggle. So uh, night seven of the tour, we had a uh, great bash heel defeating and tens on defeating Bolton Oleg, Oscar Loebe, and Yuta Nakashima. Renarita and Shota Umino defeating Callum Newman and Great Okan. Ishiyano and Yoshihashi defeating Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro. And then we've got the tournament action. So Musashi and Yo defeated Taguchi and DKC, which brought uh, Musashi and Yo up to six, leaving Taguchi and DKC at four. Then we had Bushi and Teton defeating Doki and Taka. So uh, Bushi and Teton got up to eight points there. Then we had the Jet Setters defeating... Ichiban Sweet Boys, so Jet Setters got up to eight points there, and then the semi-main event, we had Sho and Kanamaru defeating the champs, Clark Connors and Drilla Maloney, which brought uh, House of Torture up to ten points, and then the main event, Catch 2-2, defeating Desperado and Master Wato, a big comeback win there for Catch 2-2, and they got up to eight points with that match. And then night eight, we had uh, Cal Newman, Great Okan, Hanare defeating Narita Umino and Hanma. Then we had Hiromu and Suji defeating Gato and Taiji, Ishimori. Then we had Ishiyano and Yoshihashi defeating Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro. Then tournament action, we had the champs, the War Dogs. They defeated Taguchi and DKC, so they got up to 10 points. Then we had Bushi and Teton defeating Kosei Fujita and Robbie Eagles. So Bushi and Teton got up to 10 points there. Jet Setters defeating Musashi and Yo. They also got up to 10 points. And then in a semi-main, El Desperado Master Wato defeated Doki and Taka. So they got up to 12 points there. And then in the main event, Catch 2-2 defeated Sho and Kanamaru to get to 10 points. So that took us to the final uh, Tournament Night action here. So the openers, we had Hiromu and Yotatsuji defeating Gato and Ishimori. Okada and Ishii and Tanahashi defeating Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro. Oleg Bolton, Oscar Loibe, Renarita, and Chosen Umino defeating Callum Newman, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay. And then tournament action, we had uh, Doki and Taka defeating Taguchi and DKC. So Doki and Taka got up to four points to tie with uh, Taguchi and DKC. Then we had uh, Musashi and Yo playing spoiler here. They defeated Bushi and Teton and... These guys came out with the whole crew, Shingo, Naito, and Suji. Hiromu was on commentary, but 
All support did not help him there. Musashi and Yo got the win there. Uh, then we had Ichiban Sweet Boys defeating the War Dogs in three minutes and 33 seconds. Quick roll-up pin there by our good friend Robbie Eagles, which brought the Ichiban Sweet Boys up to eight, playing spoiler there for the War Dogs. And then semi-main event, Catch 2-2 defeated their old rivals, the Jet Setters. So Catch 2-2 got up to 12 points. And then the main event, House of Torture were able to defeat El Desperado and Master Watto, which brought them up to 12. So we had three teams ending with 12, but Catch 2-2 and House of Torture defeated Desperado and Watto. So that put them into the finals. So I'm looking over cage match here just to kind of see. Obviously, I didn't watch these three nights, but just trying to kind of get a view of like what the overall um, reception was. It doesn't seem like there was anything standout from any of those three nights whatsoever, more so just like tournament uh, boarding stuff. Yeah. I think the best match uh, from these nights. So night nine, I would say catch two, two and jet setters was the best match of that night. Night eight, it would be catch or no, uh Despy and Watto versus Doki and taco is probably the best match of that night. Mm. And then night seven, it would have been catch two two against Despi and Watto, but nothing that you'd say go out of your way and, and watch this. Uh no. I mean, if you if you miss it, you missed it. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of the catch two two stuff was close to four stars, uh, mm. but it wasn't really necessary to to really watch it. To they kind of laid out the final scenario, and we kind of pretty much talked about it last week too of all these teams that were close in points, and that we pretty much nailed it that. Those teams were going to all be getting the six and three, five and four. And so we ended catch two, two, how the torture, Despi and Watto, all three of those teams, six and three, 12 points. But with the tiebreakers, catch two and have the torture uh, go to the finals. And we had the War Dogs, um, Jet Setters, and LIJ all ending with 10 points. And then Ichiban Sweet Boys and Yo Musashi, eight points. And then Deguchi DKC, Doki and Taka ending with four points. Yeah, you know, last week I think I was a little bit too starstruck by the the glamour team of Despa Watto. Um, and I, I just thought that they were gonna clinch a berth into the finals. But once, you know, once I saw it all play out and the finals team ended up being catch two two and house of torture, that kind of made a little bit more sense from a storyline perspective because because of the the fact that the war dogs are the champions and you got Drilla Maloney and his connection to his de, de, uh, defection from um, the United empire kind of sets up catch two, two as like a really good foil to them. And then conversely, you've got house of torture being the subunit in bullet club and kind of the, the tension that exists there between the war dogs and the house of torture I did see some people talking about that online. Did something happen between these two teams? I saw people saying that sides were drawn and Gato made his choice, but I didn't know what was going I don't know. I didn't watch it. So, <laughs> I mean, they wrestled each other in the tournament, but it wasn't like anything that we haven't seen before, like when these guys wrestle in G1 or anything else. It wasn't like there was a... The Shinihan freaks got me. <laughs> they got me. But, uh, it do- it, you know, that kind of makes more sense when you think about the storyline implications that could exist with those two teams versus Despoato, you know, kind of just going through to the, to the final. So uh, yeah, I, I inaccurately predicted their birth into the finals. We wound up with uh catch two, two and, and house of torture. 
Yeah, and I, I accurately predicted uh, Catch Tutu's uh, path to to the finals, and uh, you know, spoiler alert, capturing the the trophies. Um, it told a good story there of them kind of being beaten down at the beginning of the tournament and then coming back here towards the end. And plus, you know, they have not been able to beat the champs, the War Dogs. They're two, uh, they're zero and two against the War Dogs. So it was a whole good story that they were telling, really building those guys up and setting up the third match between them and the War Dogs. Nice. Well, you know, this was a long, arduous tournament, but we got through it together. <laughs> uh, and so, we're all better for it, you know, having watched it all now. Uh, so after that, there was a uh, power struggle uh, press conference. A lot of uh, comments from uh, Will Ospreay catching a lot of people's attention. And we had a question here from Barry Walsh. He says, so if Will saying to Umino, you need to beat me, you aren't Omega, not Okada, not Takagi. Not Jericho, not Marifuji. You are Shota Umino. You have to fight. You have to beat me. Otherwise, I do not feel safe leaving NJPW in your hands. Is that pretty much confirmation he's gone? I have felt for a while he was going, but is this pretty much confirmation? If it is AEW he ends up in, are you worried or apathetic to the idea of the United Empire being in both companies like Bullet Club or should Cobb turn on Will and take the belt on his way out and take over the faction? Wow, uh, a lot to unload there. First, I just want to say um, Will Ospreay's promo at that press conference was incredible. And this is a guy that's kind of knocked it out of the park on the mic many times. And, you know, for a long time, Will Ospreay was sort of regarded as, as you know, just a flippy-do, you know, uh, type wrestler who couldn't really, uh, you know, do anything on the stick. But, like, he's one of the best promos in wrestling today at this point. Yeah, he, he's been incredible. Um, as far as, you know, um, whether that's confirmation or not, I, I think it's like it's not a secret whatsoever that his contract is coming up and that there's going to be, you know, something is going to happen, whether it's him staying in New Japan or whether it's him signing elsewhere. Um and, you know, they're making that very clear on commentary. He's talking about it in the press. Like, it's not really a secret at this point. But, I mean, I've said it on this show for quite a while now. I feel very, very strongly that Will Ospreay is not staying in this company. And it's something that, I mean, you know, I, I can't say I've got official confirmation. But I've heard basically something to that effect from numerous people that would know, you know, whether or not he intended to stay or not. I, I just don't think he's staying in new Japan at all. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks now. Um, and yeah, I mean, all the tea leaves are kind of coming together. You're seeing the interviews. He's talking about AEW. He's talking about WWE. He's talking about impact TNA. Um, so I, I think it's very clear that come MLW. <laughs> hey, the, yeah, the world never stops. You know, they, they Is got- he talking about the NWA. If he wants to uh, blow cocaine on the CW, maybe, maybe that's an option. For no, him. did you hear they're not going to CW, bro? I, I know because of the whole the cocaine angle from the pay per view. <laughs> so, so that's so stupid. Um, oh my god. Anyways, um, but yeah, and so I, I think come February 2024, once his contract's up, he's not going to be a full time New Japan wrestler. Uh, I don't know exactly where he's going to go on, but I think most PWG. <laughs> Uh, I think AEW probably makes the most sense, and with that, I mean, he'll probably do some one-off New Japan appearances, but 
as of right now, I, I really don't expect him to be a full-time New Japan guy next year. Well, uh, well this is what I would say. Um, as far as New Japan's concerned, and I mean, it really, this is something I talked with uh, Rich, shout out to Rich from One Nation Radio, um, earlier today about. When it comes to New Japan, I, I don't, I'm not privy to what anybody makes in this company, but we have some kind of vague ideas of the pay ranges and who's what and where and blah, blah, blah. I would assume and imagine that like the highest paid guy in the company is very likely like Okada. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining that Osprey is probably a tier below that in terms of pay. You would you'd probably guess that's probably a, a likely scenario. Mm-hmm. So if one of his big motivations is to secure the future of his family, he's getting older and he's trying to make as much money as he can to you know ensure a, a secure future. The only thing that New Japan could probably do is bump him up to a comparable pay rate to what Okada is making. I'm assuming that that's the case. Mm-hmm. If you're going to pay him that kind of money, and let's be clear here, that's very likely, it's probably very good money, but it's very likely less money than what he would probably have on the table from both WWE and AEW. But let's just presume he he loves the company. He doesn't actually want to leave. He This is where he wants to stay. They... First off, New Japan would have to agree to pay him that money. And then once they pay him that money, they would need to push him like a guy that's making that kind of money. Mm -hmm. And the reality is they have never, ever, ever in the history of the company pushed anybody like that that was a foreigner, an outsider, a gaijin. I mean, the, the, the highest of heights that you could probably point to would be like Hulk Hogan in the 80s and Vader in the 90s. And mm. neither of them were ever the man in the company. You know, they were like the monster foreign heel who crossed over and became a big star. I don't think that they have intentions as a domestic Japanese company to, you know, there's a ceiling. They're not looking to push outsiders the as the top top attraction as the ace of the company you know and it's the same reason that kenny left and it's the same reason that jay white left and aj styles and aj styles and and you know now will's leaving because there is a ceiling and it's not it's professional as well as monetary and it's just the the fact of the matter the only way the only way i could see it even being something where he would be you know um justified to stay is if they pushed him as the world champion and they made him the top guy and i don't think they're going to do that yeah i think right now like you said it's it's way more about the quote-unquote push it's about the money he has he has a stepson now it's about securing his future and you know WWE with their their new tv deals and you know the, the aw tv deal is um you know pending neg- negotiations like there's going to be a lot of money like the new Japan cannot counter offer the kind of deal that AEW and WWE are going to offer will. Yeah. And I don't know if they're even going to try to be honest with you. And mm-hmm. the one thing I do know, and I've heard this, you know, from reliable sources, this they've known for quite a while that will, you know, is looking to make a move, you know, and he's, they know that his contract's coming up. So it's not a secret. Like this isn't some big surprise. Um, 
you know, they've kind of known that this is coming for a while. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, again, I have to point back to him beating Okada in the G1 the way he did and everything that just feels very much like that's a, you know, a payoff to the story without building it up too big, without them getting Kenny Omega again, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of fans out there that would love the idea that he's going to stay and like they're sort of like telling themselves that that this isn't it that he isn't actually leaving but i mean all the tea leaves do point to the the very likelihood that he's not staying yeah Uh, and as far as his uh, question about united empire um i mean you could have them be in both promotions um but i think for the betterment Probably even that empire, you probably just want a standalone New Japan leader, and it might mainly be a New Japan. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they do, though, just yeah. because they've already done that with Bullet Club. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, if, with, with if, Aussie Open, they're they they still consider them United Empire and their full time yep. AW. So, yep. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened whatsoever. But, um, I mean. You know, one thing, too, is um, he mentioned should Cobb turn on him and take the belt on his way out? Well, I guess we're going to get to that a little bit later on. But, you know, the status of the belt, what the belt will be, who will be holding it come the end of January 4th, that's all very much, you know, uh, up in the air. But I could potentially see a scenario where at the end of January 4th, He's still the champion and he leaves the company and go, especially if he is signing with AEW, who's a partner. I could, and I could see them repeating history like they did last year with Kenny Omega. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the power struggle show here. A uh, big show here from uh, Osaka, Edion arena. I think we had about 4,000 uh, people here for the show. So it kicked off with the Frontier Zone match. So we had Bolton Oleg, Rusuke Gucci, and the DKC defeating the Dragon Gate team of Mochizuki Jr., Strong Machine J, and Yushiki Kato, 6 minutes and 40 seconds. Not not much to talk about here. I mean, I guess it was a cool, you know, um, bit of uh, exposure for some of these younger Dragon Gate guys, and it you know, gave some experience to Oleg Bolton. I feel like that's what most of the match was about was just kind of highlighting and showcasing Oleg Bolton more so than anything else. And uh strong machine J's breakdancing skills. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he's a better breakdancing wrestler than Booker T. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he'll never be as over as Booker T because he can't get a bunch of white people to raise the roof. <laughs> Yo, I'm not going to lie. Like, Booker T has become, like, you know, kind of an idiot in recent years. But, bro, 1997, Booker T fucking rules. Yes, Harlem Heat, fire exploding, raising the roof. Bro, actually, 2000 Booker T got me back into WCW (laughs) in their dying days. Uh, Don't hate the player. Hate hate the the game. game. Master of the bookend. <laughs> the bookend. <laughs> Save the drama for your mama. <laughs> uh, so 
So uh, then after that uh, main card opened up, we had the United Empire team of Callum Newman and Jeff Cobb defeating Oscar Loibe and Yuto Nakashima, four minutes and 41 seconds. Man, Oscar Loibe, he's looking uh, he's looking jacked. I know, right? Yeah, he's putting on some muscle. Um, just a, a cool showcase match. Uh, you know, the Young Lions, obviously, we're going to take the fall here. They did some cool stuff. Um, got to see some big power exchanges between Nakashima and Jeff Cobb. But, you know, really the story here was Cobb powering and, and lifting both guys and throwing them around and uh, Cal Newman doing his high-flying, high-speed offense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, pretty short matchup here. Yeah, Cobb hits the tour of the islands on Loyway to get the pin. Uh, interesting thing from Charlton on commentary mentioning the you know dojo is very crowded and that you know Nakashima and Loibe are probably trying to get on excursion and try and you know get out of the system and because there's a ton of young lions that are kind of nipping at them and trying to get their spot on the tour. We did see some new young lions uh, by ringside. They were unnamed uh, during the, the tag league tour. Uh, so yeah, the, apparently yeah the dojo is packed and yeah Nakashima and uh, Loibe will probably be on excursion pretty soon. And I guess we would be remiss uh, if we didn't mention this is the first major show called by uh, Walker Stewart and uh, Chris Charlton together. Yeah. Uh, so did you mention real quick? What did you? What did you? What have you been thinking about uh, Walker's commentary? Hmm. Um. So I, I've got somewhat mixed feelings. Uh, overall, I would say po- mostly positive things. Um, I think that Walker sounds very professional um it's i'm kind of almost having to get used to it a little bit uh it's definitely a transition because i think kevin kelly's like call is sort of similar to like how like baseball commentary is done you know Mm -hmm. whereas like walker stewart sounds more like your classical commentating voice um i don't i don't want to say it's like fake but it's very like refined and very polished and silky smooth which is good like those are all good things it's just not what i'm used to when i'm listening to english commentary for new japan so i'm I'm having to kind of adjust but uh it could be a lot worse there's a lot of terrible commentators out there (laughs) in wrestling and he's not one of them um i felt like as the show progressed i kind of felt like the um the chemistry between him and chris was slowly developing but it's still early goings you know what i mean yeah um there's quite a few things that you if if you're very tuned in to the commentary you can tell like he's not as familiar with all the backstories he's not as familiar with all the signature moves and finishing move names um that sort of stuff but i think he's making an effort because there's he made a a key point to definitely you know push the things that he does know and he did a good job of that um i just think it's going to take some time to kind of for him to sort of adjust to to everything and then there like some of the playful banter i could kind of it was kind of funny like there's certain times where chris would like throw out like a quip Mm -hmm. and like he was not taking the bait like walker stewart was like all right let's move on (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, you know, this guy's all business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think? How how do you feel like it's going? Uh, I think he's great. Uh, you know, our, the first call I heard was the um, the U.S. show. Um, 
was the last US show that, that just happened. Um, Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and Vader Scott, I thought they were a great team. And I thought he did really good there. And then, yeah, this show, I thought he was great as well. Like, his voice is just super professional. Sounds like he's been commentating for like 20 years. Um, I, I think, obviously, I think there's, like you mentioned, he needs to continue to like learn the roster. He needs to learn the moves, some of the backstory, some of the characters. Which I think over time he will learn here. He seems very dedicated to wanting to learn the stuff. He wants to, you know, do a lot of stuff on the English side and really kind of help grow the English, you know, production of New Japan. And yeah, I mean, based off of this show and uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed, I, I thought he he was he was great. Yeah, I think it's good. I uh, there the only things that like the only two things aside from what I've mentioned that I, I would say you know, for me just as a fan that I'd like to see a little bit more of is like, and again, this is something that's going to develop over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kevin and, and not that he needs to be Kevin or anything like that, but like with Kevin, there's like these certain moments where like he finds the right time to place like emphasis on a call. And like you, there are, there's certain calls like that you could just remember where like Kevin like hammers at home, like when something major is happening and you're like, damn, that feels epic. Mm-hmm. But like with Walker, everything is like sort of like smooth, but it's always the same. You know what I mean? So far. And that, granted, it's just one show, but like, I didn't feel like at the, like for instance, the main event incredible. I didn't feel like his call on that match rose to another level as opposed to the rest of the show it was all kind of the same all throughout mm-hmm. and i feel like there needs to be a little bit of like a you know a, dy- a dynamicism to to the call you know what i mean yeah i think yeah you know obviously very good but very consistent throughout and exactly um but yeah when you get to the epic heights of umino and osprey i think yeah there definitely could have been like another maybe a step up from what he was doing, but I think having a Charlton there was good. I thought Chris did an, an excellent job really in a lot of those big moments. And you know what? There are a lot of fans out there that don't like Kevin Kelly's style of commentary. They didn't like him shouting out podcasts and YouTubers and they didn't like him, <laughs> you know, doing funny gag meme jokes and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I'm not one of them, but I've, I've seen the complaints online. So this might be, something that appeals more to a general populace. I don't know. But yeah, he's very good. Uh, So moving on to the next matchup, we had El Desperato and Master Wato defeating the Bull Club War Dogs, Ichiban Sweet Boys, and Musashi and Yo in a four-way match, five minutes and 36 seconds. Yeah, very interesting. Um, when the match started, they uh, made an announcement to clarify what the specific rule set was going to be for the match. And, you know, I'm sort of one of those people where I'm always like, what is the rule of a fatal four-way tag team match going to be? Like, is it going to be two guys in and they have to tag? Or is it going to be four guys in and they have to tag their own partners? But in this case, they're like, we're just going to do Texas Tornado style and everybody is legal. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's going to be pretty chaotic. And it was, it wasn't really that chaotic. Like they kind of just worked it like a regular tag match, just like at the end of the tag match, when the referee stops paying attention <laughs> and lets everybody do what they want to do. Yeah. Oh, almost a little bit of Lucha rules where 
it was kind of like one in, one out. And yeah, I thought it was paced well. I mean, it was only uh, you know, a five minute matchup. Um, so I think the main thing is everyone was sort of wondering with the war dogs being the, the reigning champions, like were they on the chopping block here to take a, a pinfall loss and maybe set up a future challenger of some sort, or uh, were they going to pick up a win um, to make them look a little bit stronger coming out of the tournament since they didn't win it. But ultimately it turned out that the, the match wasn't about them at all. Yeah. I mean, based on what happened later on the night, maybe they, they should have won. Uh, but yeah, Despy and Watto getting the win here. They were the, the third place uh, team in the tournament. Um, they were the, you know, the, the mega team. So win here gave Despy some momentum for what he was going to be involved in later on the show. Um, so yeah, towards the end, Robbie Eagles, he had the Ron Miller special on Musashi. Uh, but when he was doing that, um, Desperado was able to roll up Fujita to get the pin. Yeah. And prior to the match, Watto, and I assume this is part of the story, like Watto has merch that's a, you know, like a, a, a graphic teen. It has a picture of him and Desperado on it. And it seemed to me just kind of inferring that all throughout the tour, Desperado would not wear or accept the shirt. Am I correct? Yeah, that's what I yeah, mentioned last week. Oh, that, was, that was the shirt that uh, Watto was trying to get Despy to wear the whole time. But tour. I don't remember everything you say every week, Jeremy. <laughs> it's a three-hour show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but uh, prior to the match when they're making their entrance, he uh, presented the shirt to Desperado again, and he didn't put it on, but he did accept it, and he kind of wore it as like a sash on his... Uh, tights as he came out so they're like that's pretty much the closest thing you're going to get to acceptance from desperado for wato and they did a, a loose you know uh fist bump so they've kind of established that these guys they no longer desperado no longer hates wato with every fiber of his being any longer yeah <laughs> Uh, so following that, we then had the intergalactic jet setters, Kevin Knight and Kushida, teaming up with Tama Tonga to defeat the Li Jig team of Bushi, Shingo, Takagi, and Teton. Ten minutes and fifty-five seconds. Yeah, I was hoping that this match was going to um, further some sort of really important, maybe like CMLL. Um, storyline between the jet setters and bushi and teton because i knew if it went the other way what that meant and <laughs> it went the other way so you know we're not gonna be seeing kushida and kevin knight work arena mexico on fridays instead we're gonna get shingo and tamatanga again yeah so uh tama hits the gun stun on bushi picks up the win there then post-match he uh he grabbed the title and you know shingo's looking around for his bell and Tama has like you know, give me another shot. He's like, I, I gave you a shot. Uh, you know, you know, show some respect. Give me a shot. So it seems like we are setting up for Shingo and Tama at some point. Uh, Shingo is defending this Friday against Trent Beretta, Lone Star Shootout. Um, so we'll see what happens after that. Uh, I'm assuming either the World Tag League Finals or maybe it's the, the Wrestle Kingdom match. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, um, I did think that their interactions with one another in the match were very good. And, you know, based on what people have said, the match they had when Shingo, you know, won the title was also very good. But I'm just not personally that excited at the prospect of another Tamatanga Shingo match. I was hoping Shingo would kind of move off and, you know, fight somebody else. Yeah. 
And we had some questions here. Les Commission 7252 says, after he goes through Trent at Lone Star Shootout, do you guys think the never openweight championship match between Shingo and Tama should happen at Wrestle Kingdom or at the World Tag League Finals? If it does happen at the finals, then that will open up new options to who should win World Tag League if we don't end up with the LIG, LIJ team of Yota and Chingo. Why would that affect that? who wins the World Tag League? Um, I guess he's thinking, so if they sign, so after Lone Star Shootout, if they sign Chingo and Tama for the World Tag League Finals, would they, the committee not put Chingo and Suji together since... Shingo would already have a title match scheduled on the final day. Okay. I, I forgot that that was even <laughs> I forgot. Okay. Um, no, that's a good point. Um, I, I personally, I think this match is very likely going to be at wrestle kingdom, which I, I don't get why they even did the, 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 the first match of fighting spirit unleashed. Like if this was going to be your big match, why not just save it first time match at wrestle kingdom? The other thing too is like earlier when it was like the never champ could Shingo and Suji win World Tag League even though he's the never champion and I I, I said it was possible but now that they're lining up you know these feuds for him and everything it, it kind of puts their entire World Tag League into very doubtful territory I don't think they're gonna win it now yeah I mean they might not even be in it depending on when this title match happens. Yeah, um, they might not even be a team that's in it. Yeah, that's correct. Um, maybe maybe it'll be like, I don't know. Who could it even be? Um, uh, maybe they, they call up uh, Terrible <laughs> from Mexico again. <laughs> Remember you team? Call up, call up Cavernario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, question. Send Roosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, MJSPR says, Suji and Shingo aren't tagging anymore. What's more likely to happen, a new LIJ member or Suji tagging with someone outside of LIJ? It does seem weird that they like kind of gave us that tease at the end of the other tour where it seemed like they were going to be tagging. You know well, what I mean? Well, this tour, too, there were several undercard stuff where they were teaming together. They were, they were hitting the, uh, the pumping um, blaster. I don't know. Maybe Shingo pulled double duty that night. <laughs> yeah, he, he could. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, I mean, maybe like you're saying if they have it at Wrestle Kingdom, then they can, they can put Suji and Shingo in. And they probably just won't, won't win. I think that they will. Yeah, I think that's a, a likely scenario. They end up in Tag League together. They just don't win it. Um, next matchup here, we had... Tetsuya Naito and Otosuji defeating the team of Sonata and Yuya Amora, 11 minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah, I noticed uh, Sonata not wearing the the sequin robe. What are we doing, bro? You know, that's been his thing. If it's not a big match, he's, he's not coming out with the robe. It's an Osaka show. <laughs> what the fuck? He's like, I'm in a tag match on an honor card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to build your, your match at January 4th, at Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome against Tetsuya Naito. Oh, man. I, I thought commentary did a great job building um, the backstory and uh, the motivations of Naito and Sonata and everything like that. Um, I was kind of um, perplexed at Suji's uh, Degeneration X style jersey that he's wearing. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what does the number 16 mean? 
I don't know. <laughs> um, he played football, though, I think, right? Yeah, I think he did, yeah. So maybe, maybe that, that was his number. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's, I, I this was a match where I was like, yeah, some somebody's like clearly going to lose here. And, uh, yeah, well, you and Moore had to do the job. So Yeah, well, the whole tour, they anytime they faced off, there was the 20-minute time limit draw. They had a time limit draw at uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed. So they were teasing that this match actually got 10 extra minutes on the time limit. It went to 30 instead of 20. So, but they didn't get even close to that. Uh, Suji ends up hitting the Gene Blaster and uh, pins uh, Yumura in eleven minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, it's fine. Um, I guess that kind of just tells us where we're at with Suji and Yumura. Um, I almost had to like kind of re- recall, like I was like, were they like the same class? Are they the 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 two guys that were linked together? And I'm like, yeah, they were. Mm-hmm, yeah, Suji Yumura. Mm-hmm. But like it, it, at this point, it's like hard for me to. We've had so many guys go and leave and everything. I'm like, oh yeah, they're like totally linked to each other. Yeah, and Suji's way above him right now. Yeah, Gene Blast, baby. And then uh, threw him out of the ring afterwards. Added insult to injury. Hmm. Uh, we had a question here from the Dark Soldier. He says, "I'm not trying to be a dick here or a Sonata fanboy, but I feel you guys put him down way harder than you should." Sure, Sonata should have shown some fi- more fire in many places. There's only so much silent charisma can get you before it's just an excuse of a lack of charisma. But New Japan didn't help out Sonata one bit. He was the third, if not fourth, most important guy in LIJ. Then suddenly he's thrust into the main event. Sure, he beats Okada cleanly, but then he gets a bunch of, let's be real here, weak challengers. I love Hiromu, but he's a junior, which makes the match finish obvious. Then Suji, who's a recently returned young lion, and the match had no build. Then Evil, who was evil. Need I say more on that? Sonata was given mid-carders to wrestle against when a world champion should be wrestling mostly main event guys. He got nothing of the sort, and a champion can only be as strong as his challengers. And when you criticize Sonata, I feel like you're letting your preconceived notions cloud your judgment on the poor guy. Had Sonata been given proper challengers, we could have had a stronger run. Um, well, I appreciate the question and the comments for sure. Um, let's be real here. Uh, especially, you know, Dark Soldier, you're a longtime listener, so you would know better than anybody. We gave Sonata the benefit of the doubt time and time and time and time again. And it really wasn't until after the G1 that we started to be like, maybe this thing's not working. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of other pundits and podcasters were out on Sonata being world champion like day one. Like he won the mm-hmm. belt and everybody was like, this is trash. You know, this is a horrible idea. And like we we're like, oh, you know, this is surprising. Let's try it. Like the match with Okada was good. It was it was a kind of a surprise win there. I was like, all right, let's, let's see how it does. The Suji match was good. The Hormu the match. And so like the, big, the start with title reign was good. But then, yeah, come... You roll in uh, post Dominion, you get into G one, and then at post G one, it's just like been been rough. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Some of the creative and some of the booking surrounding Sonata has been perplexing. Um, at the same time, it takes two to tango. There's a lot that this guy just, you know, doesn't do that, or that that he should be doing. That is also mind-boggling, you know? Yeah. Um, 
he doesn't he doesn't do any favors for himself. Yeah. Like what? Well, one thing I was going to say is like, you know, and this is obviously not quite the same thing, but let's take Suji for an example. Suji hasn't had the greatest booking. Obviously, he's not the world champion, but he hasn't had the greatest booking since he came back to the company. He's been given some opportunities and he's had some great matches, but by and large, he's mostly lost. And he's not any worse for the wear whatsoever. In fact, he's probably more over and a bigger star today than he was when he first returned because the guy fucking gets it. Mm-hmm. Sonata's a guy that just doesn't fucking get it. And he's not drawing well. He's not doing good business. And the matches are lackluster. And I feel like those two weak challengers that you mentioned, Hiromu and Suji, gave him two of his best matches of the year. It wasn't until he stepped in with all the green guys in the the G1 and then he stepped in there with Jungle Boy where it was like very damning that it's like no juice. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's it. Like he's a great wrestler. He's probably a great tag team guy. I had high hopes for what he could be this year, but the dude's got no juice. Yeah, and I think a knock on him that we've been saying from day one is – He's a guy that will wrestle up to the level of who he's in there with. He's not a guy that can elevate somebody. And I feel like as a world champion, as a main event guy, you should be able to elevate whoever you're in the ring with. It shouldn't matter. So what? They give you mid-carders. You elevate that mid-card to the next level. What has Will Ospreay been doing all year? Will Ospreay was in there. Suji, this match with Umino we'll talk about. Like Ospreay goes in there with mid-card guys, and they come out, and we're like, oh, my gosh. Like He has created a main eventer. When has when has Sonata yep. done that? <laughs> I mean, you look at like 1995, 1996 WWF. What the fuck were Sean and, and Brett doing? They were, <laughs> you know, turning chicken shit into chicken salad. Like they were making it work and getting guys over and having classics. And like Sonata's just not doing that. Like, and it, it is weird because when he's not wrestling and he's sort of, his real life persona with the suits and everything like he comes off like a star, but when he, when he goes out there to wrestle, like it just doesn't translate. And, you know, unfortunately I think he's less over with the crowds as the champion and less over with the crowds than he was when he was in LIJ. And again, I think it goes back to my illusion last week when I mentioned rugged Ronnie Garvin, Ronnie Garvin was one of the most popular guys in Jim Crockett promotions for years and years and years. One of the top, most popular mid-card guys. But the moment they put the belt on him and they pulled the trigger, people were like, what? (laughs) And they did not believe in him as champion. And part of that is the promotion's fault, but it's also the fact that you either are championship caliber material, material or you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, Sonata's just not. And the reality is, and I'm going to say this, this is the reality. This past year, Will Ospreay should have been the, the number one guy in the company. He should mm-hmm. have been the world champion, and he should have been the person that they pushed as the top act in the entire company. They didn't do that, and they missed a huge opportunity by not doing that. Yeah, e- even with him leaving. I think he having him as the world champion all the year would would have been great. You could have really put somebody over beating him for the world title in Tokyo Dome. Uh, yeah, I, I think that they definitely missed the ball there. 
I, I do understand. I do commend them for doing something new, fresh, and exciting. And I would have loved for this, uh, you know, for this to have worked out better because I was very optimistic. Some of that, some of that audio from the early part of the year has me embarrassed because I'm very <laughs> rarely this wrong about the the um, direction of the company. And I was really in on the idea of Sonata becoming a top star. Maybe not the tip top guy, but like, you know, in the mix after this is over. And I don't think he will be. I think he's going to lose at the Tokyo Dome. And then I think he's going to descend back down to upper mid card guy, someone that never touches the title ever again. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very, you know, like his former tag partner. It's going to be very evil. Like he's going to drop back down into the mid card. And then maybe every once in a while, they'll pull him back up for a title match. But I have a hard time seeing him win the title back after he drops it. I kind of felt like, I kind of feel like Yumora being brought back. And granted, I haven't seen anything of his return, but just from judging from this one match, I feel like Yui Mora was kind of disserviced being part of just five guys. And Suji was elevated by being part of LIJ. Yeah. Because like, Yui Mora is underneath Sonata and Sonata is a guy that's not being seen by, and this isn't just like the smarky podcasters uh, opinion. Listen to the crowds when he's wrestling or, or, you know, there is nothing to hear. They're not reacting to him, <laughs> and he's not drawing money. That's the problem. Like the people are not passionate about him whatsoever. That's the big issue. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, bringing you you more in underneath him is not helping you more necessarily and i also feel like um you know this past year i feel like uh taichi kind of got you know put on the back burner by being underneath sonata this year yeah he did i mean i mean the whole storyline to get him in was all taichi pushing him to get there and then yeah i think yeah there's more that could have been done with taichi as well yeah yeah this year felt like a, a big year of keep away when it comes to Will Ospreay and the world title. And, and that, it, it does. Yeah, I mean, it, Will didn't even challenge for the title once. It's weird. It felt like when 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 they did the same thing with Kenny, when he was off in his own, you know, red belt universe for a while before he finally, you know, got a, another title shot at uh, Okada. But, uh, you know, and he was off doing the best, or not best friend, the Golden Lovers thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just Cody. It's, yeah. yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Um, so following that, we had uh, kind of where the, the, the meat of the show really kicked off here. So we had the Rebel, David Finley, defeating Tangaloa, 12 minutes and 33 seconds. You know, I saw some pretty bad reviews for this match. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. You know, maybe not great, but considering what... The output from Tengaloa in the G1 this past year and what we've seen from him in singles matches, I thought this was a lot better than anyone could probably hope or expect for. Um, you know, for a sub-15 minute match, they went out there, they brawled on the outside, it was very physical. Um, the crowd, they got good reaction from them and uh, it didn't overstay its welcome and it wasn't, you know, something that I was like uh, bored with. I thought it was, they just had a very physical fight. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I thought this match accomplished what it needed to. It was following up from the, the Royal Quest angle, uh, Tangaloa pinning Finley there, 
And then, you know, it, it really, you know, this whole part of this match was to get Finley over and to make him look like a killer and, you know, as a potential title challenger. And that's what we did here. Um, you know, he went after the injured uh, knee of Tangaloa, who he just came back from that surgically repaired knee. So he was going after that. And, yeah, they were brawling over. He, he jumped Tangaloa from the opening of the bell. And, you know, they brawled throughout. And, yeah, just kind of very vicious and taking it to uh, Tangaloa. Um, but yeah, Tango, he did have some shine. He hit a you know the six one nine. He did a, a missile drop kick. He was you know <laughs> flying all over the place. Uh, but yeah. fin- Finley eventually hit him with the the oblivion, uh, the neck breaker on the knee to uh, get the win. But let's not forget to mention that he did use the shillelagh before he used the oblivion. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> which that was the one part of the match that was kind of like uh you know to me I like I don't like when guys use an outside move but then or i'm sorry like a foreign object but then hit their finisher you know what i mean because that's triple h-ism yeah (laughs) that's like i'm going to get the heat by using this illegal move but then i'm going to show that i'm dominant by hitting my finisher so that you know i get the heat but i'm also beating you clean quote unquote i'm like if you're gonna just cheat just take the win you know be a Tully Blanchard. Don't be a Triple H. <laughs> like, like my dog Logan Paul from Riyadh in Crown Jewel. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, fine matchup. Finley gets the win there. Um, and that takes us to the next matchup. We had Great Ocon taking on John Moxley. So, match started these guys. Wild Brawl. All through up and down the crowd, the ref is counting. They hit the twenty count, and they they call a double count out. Fans are booing, <laughs> and we move on to the never open weight six man tag team title match. Very disappointing. Only a minute of action between these two guys. Double count out. Maybe we'll see something from them down the line. No, that that, that was not the case. Uh, that <laughs> w- would have been sad if it was. But yeah, yeah, the crowd was booing. You know. Not happy, you know, Moxley and O'Connor still trying to fight each other. And then Moxley grabs a microphone. He's like, you know, I- I'm not leaving until I, I get a piece of you. Let's. Uh, That's not what he said. He said, I'm not leaving until I get a piece of your ass. <laughs> uh, I was like, whoa, <laughs> yo. <laughs> there are kids in Osaka. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, Moxley then challenges them to a falls count anywhere matchup. Um, so yeah, they, they ring the bell and they they go on to run it, and they are just brawling all through up and down the arena, throwing um, themselves into the into the chairs, moving fans out the way. Of course, Moxley gets uh, busted open, um, and then at one point they kind of start like doing some like shoot style <laughs> wrestling on the outside and they're like exchanging holes in, in the middle of the chairs and stuff like that. It's kind of this yeah, wild, crazy when, brawl. When that was going on, I was kind of thinking to myself, like Okan is sort of like a perfect opponent for Moxley in a way that I hadn't really thought about prior to this match happening because like Okan's really adept at, you know, the ground game and grappling and everything like that. But then he's also got the wild man side where he can do the brawling and, and, you know, fighting through the crowd. And uh, that wasn't something I kind of thought about before this match happened. Yeah. I thought, yeah, it was a great kind of styles blend there. Uh, a lot of crazy spots. There's one spot where uh, Moxley pushed uh, Okan off the ramp and he uh, flew off the ramp into Yuta Nakashima uh, down to the floor. 
he uh, got got the scissors out. He, he cut uh, Great Okan's ponytail. This, this is despicable. <laughs> yeah, I thought this match was really great and very, very entertaining and very fast, high, like very fast paced, high octane, very violent. Uh, I at one point thought that they were. I thought this was going to be like one of the first like new like New Japan proper matches where they didn't just brawl in the crowd. I thought they were going to go backstage and like fight <laughs> outside. Like that's the kind of vibe it had. This was very, you know, you see one crowd brawl, you've seen them all. And anytime you watch, like for instance, WWE, it's a very sanitized version of like the crowd brawl. Maybe it's a little more visceral in like AEW, but like in Japan, they kind of like let them do whatever the fuck they want. And like, you know, this is very much Terry Funk and McFoley sort of status. Like they were go, you know, getting thrown into the chairs and using all the props and fighting all over the building. And like mm-hmm. you said, uh, they were doing the the uh, submission stuff on the ground. Like it was, this was very uh, different for like a street fight, falls count anywhere type match. And you know, that's another thing too. I've got this weird gripe. I don't like, for instance, like in WWE. They got like seven different names all for the same match. It's all, you know, the street fight, the hardcore match, the extreme rules, you know, like these are all (laughs) this, you know, no holds barred. Yeah. They're all the same shit. Like it's the same match. They just call them different things depending on what marketing they want to do. Yeah. I, I like when a match that has a stipulation has a different feel to it. And this one was false count anywhere. So it wasn't your garbage, you know, they're going to go and and get all the plunder and throw it into the ring and do all the, you know, plunder spots that you come to expect. And they didn't do a death match. They did a true blue falls count anywhere match where they just fought through the building in, in cool and inventive ways. I like this. I thought this was very good. Yeah, it wasn't about the, the weapons. It was about, all right, we're literally having our match all over the arena so yeah several yeah. pinfalls and stuff towards the outside and even the finish here was uh on the outside uh moxley he gets to see the death rider and he puts on a rare naked choke and uh mario sam he calls for the bell okan was out uh and so yeah the, the finish was on the outside and so yeah i thought this was a, a really great kind of um innovative way to do the false count anywhere kind of a break up in, in the card there nice little um you know change of pace in the card and yeah, I thought Ocon uh, did a great job here uh, keeping up with Moxley. Let's see. Do we have any questions here? Yeah, we had a question here from MJ Does PR. He says, is Ocon ready? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, ready for what? Did uh, you copy the whole question? Yeah, that's, that's what all he said. Is, is Ocon ready? I guess maybe I, is he ready for more? Ready for a push? Uh I, well, I thought the match was good. I didn't think that this was any a match that uh, like elevated him or made like this wasn't like you know quote unquote star making performance. Like he lost again. This guy just stays losing, and uh, I am wondering like what's next. Uh, like, is he not going to be somebody that the company like entrusts to push higher up the card? Like many out there had said was the case or does he kind of need to pivot and find his uh his own niche within the company is he going to become the brawling through the crowd guy like is like does he need to find some sort of space like that for himself because 
right now he does not seem like somebody that's going to be a top of the card main attraction type of star. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of getting lapped by the the guys coming back from excursion, Suji, uh, Umino, Umora, Narita, all these guys are kind of being kind of getting pushed uh, ahead of him. So, I mean, I, I think uh, Okan has a lot of uh, great skills and, and tools, and he's a guy I feel like could be pushed more. And, you know, we've been saying for a long time now, like, when's the push going to happen? Um, what, what are they doing with this guy? And for whatever reason, they, they just like to put him in spots like this and, and then beat him. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Maybe next year with Osprey leaving, that would open up some room for him to get elevated up in the United Empire and in, in the, up in the, the company. I saw somebody somewhere call him the king of the special singles match. It's <laughs> 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 pretty funny. Uh, so uh, after that, we had the uh, never open weight six man tag team title match. The champions, Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated the TMDK team of Mad Mikey Nichols, Hysterical Shane Hayes, and the front man, Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, I, I thought that um, Robbie Eagles on commentary doing his best uh, Don Callis slash uh, Bobby <laughs> Heenan impression for this match was very good. Um, this match was awesome. Um, very, very work rate, high-paced uh they these guys really got down to it. My favorite exchanges in the match were uh, the the exchanges in the opening, and then later on in the middle of the match between Zack Saber Jr. and Tomohiro Ishii. Like those guys, just they at this point they've got so much chemistry with one another. Um, yeah, that was great. But you know, at one point the match felt very even, and then it kind of felt like um, you know. I don't, what is, what do I call Tanahashi, Ishii, and Okada? Like, what do I call this team? I, I, I need a shorthand <laughs> name for them. Uh, Pitbull Aces, Stone Aces. <laughs> so only those two, okay, the, yeah, the Mega Aces, I get it. Um, I'm going to call them the Super Friends, I don't know. <laughs> Some shit. But anyways, because um, I want to call them the Chaos team, but like, Tanahashi's not Chaos. It's very mm. confusing. Yeah. And anyways, um. The never open weights, the, the champions, they uh they started to it almost felt like they were on the verge to a pretty quick victory at one point. And we got to a, a, a section of the match where Zack Sabre Jr. is laid out. He's on he got hit with the sling blade. Tanahashi goes up top, he goes for the high fly flow, and he misses. Mm. And from from that point on, like he starts playing Ricky Morton and the team DK team is just running rough shot over the champions. And, um, you know, Robbie's talking about how, you know, they're a real team and those guys are just individuals, you know, teamed up and it's not the same thing. And he's like, you know, once they lose the titles, they'll never <laughs> team again, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, the, the team DK, uh, they did all their like big signature moves on, yeah, on everybody throwing out tank busters left and right. Um, Saber was doing like European clutches, all the roll ups on Tanahashi. They were getting. I thought there was like one of those clutch near falls. Like oh, oh he got him. <laughs> there was a bunch of very close clutch near falls on Ishii that were there was three in a row that looked really really convincing. Like uh, like Zach had him tied up, but um, 
yeah, the match just kept going. And then down the stretch, they did the thing that New Japan loves to do in these tag matches where everybody comes in and they're hitting all their signatures, boom, 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 and everyone's flying. And then uh, eventually it winds up just being like uh, uh, Zach and Tanahashi. And you think like Zach's pretty much, you know, Tanahashi is looking rough at the end of this match. He's been beat up. He's been in there for a long time. And um, at one point it looked like Zach was getting ready to, to defeat him. And Tanahashi finds the will to get a, a crazy small package and <laughs> pins him with a one, two, three. And uh, they retain their titles. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah, and then uh, post-match, uh, Tanahashi was pointing to Zack Sabre's world TV title. So it seems like they are setting up Tanahashi eventually challenging Zack for the NJPB world TV title, potentially at Wrestle Kingdom. Well, you know, um, these guys are the six-man tag team champions, and you kind of had to wonder, three big high-profile names like that, is it feasible or even likely that they – might team together at Wrestle Kingdom. And I did think that could maybe be the case, but, you know, in the post-match, we found out for sure that's not happening. Like, Okada has a date for that night, and now it seems like Ishii and Tanahashi are going to need to find something to do as well. Yeah, so uh, after the, the Tanahashi-Zach uh, conversation, we got lights went out. We got a, another video from the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Big old eye patch on his eye, uh, calling out um, Okada, talking, you know, you broke my arm, you, you broke my face, and uh, now I'm coming for revenge. I'm challenging you for Wrestle Kingdom, and uh, Okada accepts. And so it's official, Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada 2. And uh, according to Sports Illustrated, uh, it was reported that the original plan was for Danielson to appear live at Power Struggle, but he was unable to fly due to the broken orbital bone that he suffered uh, in the match with Andrade on collision on October 21st. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate, but this was a very cool, you know, video package and sets up the match. Uh, I especially liked that uh, Okada, he's giving his response and he's cutting the promo in Japanese. And then at the end of it, he's like, my answer is, and he points in the air and he goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this. This dude is so unserious all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Brian had good lines. He says, "I'm gonna um, break your arm so you can never do a rainmaker again." Yeah, I liked that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was the Osaka crowd. They did a, a lot of yes chants as well. So uh, the the Japanese audience very excited for uh, Brian Danielson to uh, come to Japan again. Uh, I think it'll be the first time in like 19 years since uh, Brian's been in a new Japan ring in Japan. Uh, so that should be a great uh, rematch there, January 4th. Yeah, I looked to see the other day, had he ever worked the Tokyo Dome? And it looks like he's had, I, I don't recall exactly, but I think it was three or I think more likely four tag team, like junior tag team matches in the Dome. But he's never had a singles match. He's never like main evented or anything like that. You know, and obviously that was in the early phase of his career, like 2003, 2004, something like that. So um, yeah, this easily going to be the the biggest match of brian's career in japan Mm -hmm. and we had a question from uh death triangle 720 would it be a mistake to have tana versus zach at the dome instead of a young talent to fight zach for the tv title yeah i'm not a fan of it personally i mean i i've seen a lot of zach and tanahashi matches over the years they've got great chemistry i i enjoy their matches but I, I don't know if, I mean, like, 
of course, I, I want to see Tanahashi in some sort of prominent position, you know, just for nostalgia's sake. It's the dome. He's the ace, blah, blah, blah. But I think I would like to see Zach defend the title. I mean, we talked about it last week. I felt like Renderita sort of made the most sense, and maybe that could still happen. But right now, it's kind of feeling like it's going to be Tanahashi. Yeah, Zach is defending the title on Friday against Speedball Mike Bailey, but I'm pretty sure he's going to retain there. Um, yeah, so, that kid's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it does seem like, yeah, what's Tanahashi going to do with the Dome? You know, last year they kind of stuck him in that, that six-man uh, tag with uh, Muto, and so it, it seems like they're trying to find ways to put him in big spots but not having him have to go out there and have, you know, the, the classic, you know, 40-minute Tanahashi Tokyo Dome match. So it could be a good idea. You, you stick him in this 15-minute, you know, TV title match. It's a big match with Zach, but it's a, a limited time limit, so you're, you're not going to expect to get, the you know, the, the big classic from him. Um, so maybe that's the, the, the role you go. But I do agree that for the whole purpose of the title, it would be better, yeah, if some young guy finally stepped up and was able to beat Zach. At the same time, it would suck if Tanahashi's the guy that gets the rub from beating Zach after this very long, you know, historic title reign. But you know they love to use Tanahashi as a transitional champion. We see him do it with the IC belt. We see him do it with the U the US belt. We see him do it with the Never Belt. Like we see him do it with the world title the last <laughs> time he won it. Yeah. Like he he is the quintessential transitional champion in New Japan these days. And so even if he does beat Zach, they could easily have Tanahashi turn around and lose to a Ren Narita or a Suji or a Yui Moore or whatever. Yeah, New, Year, New Year's Dash, you know, open challenge. One of the young guys comes out, smokes him. New beginning, whatever. And they will benefit from having his scalp on their head, you know, as, as a claimant or whatever. So, um, but I would like, I mean, I'd rather see Ren Rita and, and Zach. Yeah. So then uh, fall. Also light work for Tanahashi that night. Sub 15 minute match, huh? <laughs> you know, my mess around, got a quick roll up five minutes in. <laughs> uh, next match up here, we have the Super Junior Tag League 2023 final matchup. Catch 2-2 Francesco Akira and TJP. Defeated the House of Torture team of Sho and Yoshinobu Kanemaru to win the Tag League and become the uh, 2023 Super Junior Tag League winners. Going back to the point that I made earlier in the show, how there are the story elements at play with these two teams in relation to the champions, the War Dogs. As the match was playing out, I noticed, you know, I noticed that the story that you had uh, mentioned last week was. Uh, rearing its head again where tjp has the neck issues and it's becoming a hindrance throughout the match and i just was like they gotta win at this point because it's house of torture and like who the fuck wants to see house of torture in the tokyo dome (laughs) yeah um i I was a little bit worried though because they had already beaten house of torture in the tournament so i was like oh crap like (laughs) (laughs) um and then, you know, they never did really pay off the Drill and Maloney. In fact, I don't even remember what happened between Catch-2-2 and War Dogs. Were they the champions and War Dogs beat them for the titles? Yeah, they beat them for the titles at the Independence Day show. 
um, okay. July 4th or 5th, whenever one of those shows. And then they faced off again, again here in the tag league and they lost. So they're 0 and 2 against War Dogs. It's, it's been a long year. I'm trying to recall everything that happened. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they've never gotten their comeuppance. Uh, to drill Maloney for you know attacking them back then and then taking their titles. So um, I love the idea that they're going to be the ones that win this and everything like that. The match was fine. Um, I thought everybody worked pretty hard. There was a lot of house torture shenanigans, but you know they they set up a save where uh, Jeff Cobb and Calum Newman came in and made a big save and mm-hmm. got those guys out of there. But um, you know, ultimately catch two, two, you know, defied the odds and, you know, they prevailed and, and they picked up the win here. It was okay. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. It accomplished it, what it needed to do. Um, you know, it had catch two, two kind of being the underdog baby faces, which I think has been good for their runs. You know, they were so dominant as champions and most of their run as champions, they were heels. And since they yeah. lost the belts, they've been faces. And so, you know, they've kind of made them, you know, Go through some trials, you know. Be you know, come from on, from behind, and so they persevered. This tournament, they persevered in this matchup here. They did a, a, a different variation of their finisher. Usually, you know, one person hitting the knee from the front, one sitting from the back, but they both hit it from the front as a unified uh, team. In front, hit the the knee knee, uh, the two two, and once again Akira being the one to pick up the the pin for the team. So they got the win. They got their their winged trophies. They were all celebrating, and then. The champs came out, Drilla and Clark, and jumped them and attacked them and uh, set the stage for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, they attacked them. They uh, def- defiled the the trophies. They talked a bunch of shit. And then at, at the very end, it looked like they were going to try to permanently injure TJP and put him out of the sport forever. But, <laughs> uh, you know, United Empire members came down and made the save and prevented that from happening. But... uh yeah, these guys, these war dogs, they're nasty, man. They don't, <laughs> they don't give a fuck about nothing. Uh, we had a question from Barry Walsh. Is, is there a case to be made that Catch 2-2 are the best tag team out there, not just the best junior team? Uh, in New Japan, they might be right now, yeah. Yeah, I feel like tag team wrestling as a whole is kind of a down uh, across the board. Like I can't even really think of like any tag team that's really stood out this year. Uh, in terms of like that had a now, like obviously like the three names that come to my mind immediately in terms of having being good tag teams would be like FTR, the Young Bucks, and Aussie Open. Obviously, they're all in AEW at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New Japan this year, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Bishamon was having a very good year. Yeah, yeah. Until Goto and, got hurt, yeah. And uh, I would say I would say them and like Catch Two Two are probably the two best tag teams in New Japan this year, most likely. Yeah, uh, Catch Two Two is definitely going to get a vote for me on one of my three votes for tag team of the year and our year in awards. And yeah, I think they're a great team. I, I do think they're a little bit underrated because uh, I don't think a lot of people are giving them the attention they deserve. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it would be cool to see them like get a big tag match like at Forbidden Door so people can really see just how great these guys are. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 
so moving on to the next matchup here. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. The champion Hiromu Takahashi defeats the challenger, the bone soldier, Taiji Ishimori, 20 minutes and 38 seconds. Yeah, it's funny with Hiromu and Taiji Ishimori because we've seen them wrestle each other quite a few times. And like the first time they ever wrestled, they had what many people consider to be one of the greatest junior, not even just junior matches, one of the greatest like matches ever. Um, But especially for the junior division, it's like a legendary match. I'm not as high on it as other folks are, but it's really, it's this high benchmark that they've just never, ever, ever been able to reach ever again and then after that match you sort of have two matches they have you have the the match that under delivers and it's nowhere near where it should be based on their talents then they have the type of match that over delivers and it's nowhere near that high benchmark but it's somewhere in the middle and it's pretty good and I felt like this match, along with like the match they had with each other at Wrestle Kingdom a couple of years ago in the pandemic, are sort of the latter. Like very, very good, probably better than what I was expecting. Not like out of this world great, but very good. Yeah, yeah. I'm about like four stars on this matchup. Um, uh, yeah, you know they had to start off with a very fast pace, a lot of uh, quick exchanges at the beginning. And um, then the kind of the normal story of their match, Ishimori's attacking, you know, the shoulder and arm of Hiromu to set up for the, the bone lock. Um, and then Hiromu's, you know, fighting from underneath, trying to, um, you know, use um, his size to out-muscle Ishimori. Uh, but, yeah, it was a, a really uh, good matchup. Um, I thought Ishimori really pushed the pace and worked a more, uh, like, energetic and frantic style this time around mm-hmm. than he normally has been lately. And dude came back fucking shredded, all tanned up with the white gear. I think that if you are a title challenger, this is just for me, it's a general rule. I think if you're a title challenger and you wear white gear, you should not be losing the match. <laughs> if you know you're losing the match, don't break out the fucking white gear. Like the white gear should only be reserved for title wins. It's a it's a law. Everybody knows it. <laughs> But uh, I thought Ishimori was actually the better of the two in this match, which I can't recall if I've ever thought that in any of their matches. So uh, I thought both both guys were great, but uh, Ishimori was working his ass off that night. Yeah, like you mentioned he looked fresh in the, the all-white gear. He had the the contact, like the blue-eye contacts in. Um, and yeah, kind of pick up the pace there. And he had uh, several points when he was trying to cheat to win. There was a, a call back to him. Uh, pinning Hiromu backstage for the uh, DT uh, 24-7 Ironman Championship. He did a hit a low blow in a, a Gato clutch. It was the same way how he uh, pinned Hiromu backstage. Um, that was a near fall of about 16 minutes in. And then they hit their, their uh, closing stretch, and Hiromu escapes a bone lock, and then he's eventually able to uh, hit the uh, Hiromu roll. So there's a, a closing sequence there where Shane pinfall and he hits. He does the Hiromu roll twice, and he second one sticks, and he uh, pins Hiromu, or he pins uh, Ishimori. I thought that finish was very. I I chuckled because I found it kind of humorous, but uh, I thought it was a great finish because of the fact that his arm was compromised all throughout the match, so he didn't quite have the strength to execute properly his various 
different moves. I, I, I am getting confused about what moves are what when it comes to Romo because he's got the Dynamite Plunger, the Time Bomb, the Time Bomb one and a half, and the Time Bomb two, and they all kind of look fucking the same. So it's weird. But anyways, <laughs> um, you know, because he didn't have the the upper body strength to continuously go to the well and spam those moves he had to sort of rely on his technical prowess and he was able to get the the Hiromu role and it sort of plays into the story that these two guys have had with one another and that DDT title where he got rolled up backstage by uh Ishimori so he was able to kind of return the favor here yeah then uh post match he grabs a mic and he calls out El Desperado and challenges him for a match at Wrestle Kingdom for the junior title. Despy accepts says he needs to get uh, some surgery done, but will be healed and back in time for Wrestle Kingdom. So uh, we're getting another Hiromu versus Despy Tokyo Dome matchup. Yeah, and apparently this is the first time that Hiromu actually wore the title belt around his waist because when he won the title... It was at Wrestle Kingdom last year in a four-way match where Ishimori was the champion, but he didn't beat Ishimori in that match. So up till now, he's felt kind of a little bit uh, like he didn't deserve to wear the belt because he never actually beat the champion. But now that he has this win over Ishimori, he feels you know confident to to wear the belt. And then I liked when he before he made the announcement that he was going to face. Desperado, he's like, I know you guys. What you guys are waiting for? This is usually the time where someone comes out, or the lights go black, or a video plays. He's like, just let me say what I want to say <laughs> before you try to do that. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know that I'm. Don't get me wrong. I I think Desperado and Hiromu are a defining feud and have fantastic matches with each other. So I do get it, but I don't know that I'm that excited for them again at the Tokyo Dome just two years later when, you know, and and they're really just Hiromu calling him out to be the challenger. I don't, I'm not sure I'd get it. Yeah. It's kind of a, kind of a weird booking, especially since, you know, Despy has kind of been stuck in this tag team with Watto. And then he was doing the whole best of seven series. Like there was no kind of like signature wins to really kind of like ramp up or build him up to be like, Oh yeah, he's potentially, Gonna challenge and maybe that's was done by design. Maybe they wanted to kind of surprise, you know, that this match was happening. But yeah, it does seem kind of weird that yeah, they're going back to this matchup. I mean, I, I maybe sometimes wrestling doesn't have to be overcomplicated, and it's just by the matter of fact that they're the top two stars in the in the company, and it's Wrestle Kingdom. They want to put on a great show and have a marketable match. You know, that's probably what it is Mm -hmm. but uh i don't know if i'm like loving the idea that like hiromo just was like i want to fight despy at the dome and that's just what's happening i don't know yeah i Uh, feel like maybe there could have been a better way to get there i don't know maybe uh uh, i have a question from mjspr what do you think of Hiromu challenging despy for Russell kingdom rather than having someone else come out to challenge did you think it was going to be leo i did not i hadn't i didn't think anything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it seems like Leo Rush is on, is on a break for, for right now. Um, so, yeah, I was not expecting Leo. I mean, I, I was expecting somebody to come out and set something up. I didn't expect Hiromu to be the one to lay out a challenge. Like we said, like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it'll be fine. They'll probably have a great match. Uh, but 
I would have liked probably either a new challenger or something something fresh that we haven't seen before. Well, what would that be? I mean, Hiromu's beat everybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Bring somebody from the outside in or find some a, a younger junior guy that needs to get pushed. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm fine with it being them. It's just here. here's what I didn't like last time is, um, you know, they had had an, a couple. So they had the match at the Tokyo Dome, but leading up to that, prior to that, they'd had two super epic, like, top end matches that were like legendary and then it was like they're gonna do the blow off at the tokyo dome they're gonna get a lot of time and they they didn't get a lot of time and it felt like the match got rushed and it didn't play that much into the two previous matches that it felt like were leading to that one and they kind of got shortchanged the match was still very good but it was nowhere near as good as the two prior to it so now here we are again, and it's two years later. We've already seen this match at the Tokyo Dome before. And the last time, Desperado won. So now, and he was supposed to have, kind of have been solidified as like the guy. But here we are again. It's Hiromu in the Dome for the junior title again, um, facing a guy that he's already faced in the Tokyo Dome before. And last time they kind of got shortchanged. They, they weren't given the platform to do what we know they could do. And I'm wondering if they're going to be given, you know, the time to do what they could do, you know, or is it going to be something that falls a little bit short because their time's going to get cut because it's wrestle kingdom and everyone's got to get their shit in. Yeah. And we're already uh, seeing some matches uh, announced already. And it's looks like it's going to be, you know, a a big stack car days every year. So it will be interesting to see how much uh, time they do end up getting. And you know, Sonata Naito is going 45. Uh, well, uh, not not including entrances and post match, <laughs> just just pure match time. Well, uh, speaking of forty minute matches, let's talk about this main event: the IWGP United States and United Kingdom heavyweight title match. A champion Will Osprey defends and defeats the Roughneck Shota Umino forty minutes and sixteen seconds. Yeah, um, I had seen a lot of varying feedback about this match, um, kind of all over the place. I I, I saw the, the cage match scoring, full transparency, I didn't watch this show till today. I had a crazy weekend, so I finally got around to watching it today. And, um, you know, I, I'd seen, like, some people say it was very good, but, you know, getting too much praise, like four and a quarter, seen some people saying this was an easy match of the year contender, maybe the match of the year. You know, um, I, I saw what you had to say about it, Jeremy, which, you know, spoiler alert, Jeremy's very high on the match. Um, and then I went to cage match and I saw all sorts of like, I mean, I, it's got a really high score, but I saw people going like four, seven and like, you know, saying that it went too long. They didn't have enough stuff to fill it, blah, blah, blah. So I, I was like kind of going into this match. And plus, I think that all the matches they've had together have been very good. But I have never been blown away by Shota Umino and, and Will Ospreay as a pairing. Mm-hmm. So I sort of kind of had this lower expectation. Like, how good could this actually be? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and especially like you don't want to sometimes I don't want to psych myself out when I see something with a really like for instance, I did this last night. I went to watch this movie called When Evil Lurks because I heard people saying it was 
best horror movie of the year and it had a 99 on rotten tomatoes and all this shit and i watched it and i i I wasn't really that impressed i didn't love the movie it wasn't my cup of tea it was okay and i was disappointed by the end of the night and so i kind of went into this match like i'm seeing like a 9.55 cage match that's super fucking high like how (laughs) how good could this be bro they they tore the house down they tore the motherfucking house down and they put on a a really 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 classic match um it might i mean it's it's hard to say because will osprey's had such a high-end year this year Mm -hmm. but like i feel like it's gotta be like a top three top four match that he's had this year like just kind of and it's not that far off really from the kenny omega matches um the 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 work was so crisp in the early portions and everything like that and then they're flying all over the place on the outside lots of aerial moves um but everything like has because the 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 three previous matches there's a lot of history that they're playing off of they're playing into all that but one thing i loved is like umino just really seemed to break out of his shell in this match like he Mm -hmm. was showing a lot of fire his facials were on point like he was in this match like he was living the moment with osprey this was not a case like the other matches they've had i would say it was a case where there were great matches where osprey was guiding him leading him and elevating him to a higher level this felt like he was on osprey's level all throughout the match and then it got violent on the outside like mm. there's uh or even on the inside like the chickenando kicks where osprey is oh kicking him in the fucking face and breaks his nose, nose starts bleeding yeah yeah he like i don't know if he broke his nose but they just said the on commentary like he broke his nose and like <laughs> you believe it because his, his mouth is bleeding his nose is bleeding and like from there he just got fired up and like he's bashing will and will's bashing him and um chris charlton was really great on the commentary team here talking about the you know, the history with them and everything like that, kind of painting the picture. And then uh, in the middle of the match, you get to this point where um, Will is just hitting him with so many forearms. And it well, yeah, goes it's back. a callback yeah, to the, the Royal, what's that Royal quest? Uh, I don't even remember. Probably maybe the, it, the, it, it was, I think it was power struggle last year, wasn't it? Uh, no, cause it was a, it was a UK show. It was before Umino came back. Okay. From excursion, um, it was the match where Red Shoes was, was refing, and yeah. uh, Will was throwing the elbows, and Red Shoes called it. Yeah, and and they did that spot, and it became very clear that like he was close to calling it. And then um, Will did a he's in the full mount, and he does this thing where he grabs his arms and he traps them underneath him, um, which like from like an actual practical standpoint that's it's much easier to be bucked off of somebody from like a jujitsu standpoint but whatever it looked cool because he looks trapped and he starts hitting him like with no protection and everything like that and then later on the tables get turned and umino is able to get back at him and is able to do the same thing to him and like uh red shoes almost stops the match on osprey and gives him a 10 count and they're they're trading each other's moves like it this match was it fucking blew me away like yeah dude this blew me away this match was incredible like Mm -hmm. i i 
was like audibly like gasping, jumping up and down. Like I was so into this match. It's so much crazy stuff. The 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 tiger driver spot through both tables. I I literally that was awesome. Like yelled out loud when he did that. Like that was nuts. Uh, Umino did this like uh, crazy DDT thing to Will on the apron. Um, there's just so many. I, I loved when he w- was on the outside and he threw Will Ospreay into the um, chairs. And like, I thought the stuff that they did on the outside rivaled what we saw from the Finley match. It rivaled what we saw from the Mox match. Like, and there's one point where Will just gets th- thrust into the, the fucking um, chairs and he makes them explode. He goes through like five or six rows of chairs. I'm like, holy shit. Like that was crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, he, he brings Will over to the table. He's like, oh, you want a table? Yeah, bam. bam. You want he's a like, table? <laughs> he's like, you want a table? Bam. He's like, how about more table? Bam. And I'm like, dude, who is this guy? This Shoto Amino. He's cheeky, man. Like, he's 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 got a uh, an edge to him. Like, I like this. Yeah, uh, it was a great counter of the Oscar. He, he did a, a drop kick when, Os- when Osprey was going for the Oscar. That was great. Uh, man, also all the big signature spots. Osprey did a great uh, the, the the leap of faith. Uh, corkscrew for a near fall on the inside. But man, yeah, there's going back and forth. So many great stuff. Um, countering of of the hitting blades uh, that was great. And man, there was so many times where I thought Umino was going to get him. He kept kicking out. He kept getting all these near falls and. There was the one uh, Death Rider near fall where Will just barely like, got his foot on the rope. I was like, damn, man. Like, I thought Choda had it. it. It wasn't even just a Death Rider. It was a top rope Death Rider. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Avalanche Death and, Rider, yeah. Yeah, it was an Avalanche Death Rider. That's what... Okay, so I do have two small gripes to make. And they are small, but they were things I did not like about the match. One, I didn't like how many times Shota Umino hit him with the Death Rider and different variants of the Death Rider, but still wasn't able to beat him. Because at this point, it makes me feel like the move is ineffective for him. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's part of the story. Maybe it means that he should look into using a, using a different move altogether, like mm-hmm. something his own. Um, which, speaking of which, we forgot to mention like that John Moxley came out in the middle of the match while when... Uh, when Will was doing the arm trapped uh, forearms from the full mount and he was the one, like it looked like Umino is about to get knocked out and get stopped. And he comes out, he starts banging on the Come on, shooter. He's, he's like, come on, shooter. He's like, don't you fucking give up. <laughs> and, like, and then he like powers out. Like, and I'm like, Oh my God, this is great. Um, so that was the one thing I didn't like how many variants of that move he hit without being able to beat him. And the one other thing, and this is something I, this is something that, is a problem. Will Osprey has fucking killed the Tiger Driver, bro. <laughs> it is no longer because the whole entire premise was that it was supposed to be a super finish or something that he could only pull out for the big moment to beat somebody that he couldn't beat with his normal moves. But now he's just using it in every single match and everybody that he hits with it is kicking out. Yeah. So it's no longer a super <laughs> finisher at all. It's just a signature move, which I don't I don't love that because the whole idea of it. Now, granted, I will say he's landing it safely. So I, I have no the only time I ever criticized it was when he landed it unsafely the first time on Kenny Omega. Since then, every version that every time he's landed it, he's done it perfectly 
fine. So I'm I'm cool with it. Not that not that it matters if I am, but just from a fan perspective, I don't see a problem. But everyone is kicking out of it, so it's no longer the Storm Driver ninety three or whatever. Like it's it's just a fucking move that he does. Yeah, and it's kind of dumb. But I, I did pop when Umino kicked out. I was like, oh my gosh, like. He kicked out the storm driver. Like, is he gonna? Yeah, Umino <laughs> kicked out of it, but like Mike Bailey just kicked out of it, like last week. Yeah, <laughs> and and literally everyone he's hit with is kicked out. He's, I think he beat like Leon Slater with it, and that was it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that was a crazy near fall. But I do agree that if it, it like, make up your mind, is it a super fan, super fan sure or not? <laughs> I think it's just one of those things where like they didn't. He hit it in the in the match, and it. it got all the buzz and he didn't anticipate like for it to take off like that. But now he's like, Oh, they love when I do the fucking tiger driver. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, do the fucking tiger driver is a big match. <laughs> uh, going to throw it in there. <laughs> I also, I loved that. Um, Umino, when he had him draped in the corner, Umino hit him with the fucking V trigger. Yeah. Not That's- that it, not that it was like an actual illusion to Kenny, but I was like, he he landed it and I was like B trigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, this match was just blow away, incredible, great. I'm I'm throwing five on it. Um, just incredible stuff. I'm like very torn. I'm very torn because I don't know if I can go the full five, but like I'm I'm pretty close. Um, I definitely think it's one of the best matches of the year. Um, it, it's up there, like. Let me just say this, and I guess we'll talk about it later, but like, you know, last week, the recommended match of the week was Mike Bailey versus Will Ospreay, right? Mm-hmm. Dave gave that shit five and a quarter. I don't think it's anywhere near that. But like, I have to think, like, if Dave gave that five and a quarter, he's got to go like six and a quarter on this match. Like, he's got to go super high or something. You know what I mean? Like, because this is way, this is not a totally different league from that match. Yeah, um, and I saw Dave tweet. He was like, "Yeah, you know the Umino Osprey match was incredible." So I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's definitely <laughs> he, he, he's going above five for this match." He's gonna, yeah, he's going to break the scale again. Oh man, um, but the match is it is really incredible. And like, what I love about it is how there's so many story elements tied in from their feud with one another. Um, some matches that are very like in new Japan, when you watch like a 40 minute match, sometimes it can feel very long or it feels like the stuff they're doing in the beginning doesn't have any real meaning or that it's not um, leading to anything. I feel like almost everything they did in this match had a reason it was happening. Um, And I don't want to say this in a derogatory way, but I I mean, this as a compliment, it kind of reminded me of like, remember when you'd watch those NXT women's matches and you're like, damn they like someone helped them with this shit like it's laid out so well <laughs> yeah that's what this was like i'm like this match is laid out so fucking well like the pacing the timing the selling the violence the physicality the high flying like everything is on on point the storytelling like there oh yeah there's like one point where umino was hurt and he gets hook kicked and his face is bleeding and he gets mm. hook kicked again and i was like for the fans that want storytelling and you know they think that the drama is you know community theater like why won't you stay down like shit like that like 
this is the storytelling that I like. This is what I love about pro wrestling. Like when guys go out there and they're like literally like putting their their hearts and souls on the line. Like this is the epitome of fighting spirit. Is what we saw in this match. Mm-hmm. I, I'm blown away. Like easily the the, the best match of Shota Umino's career. And another drop in the bucket for <laughs> Yeah, and you know, even more drama you throw in there. Red shoes, his dad's the referee, and he's yep. at points having to pull Umino back or he's trying to save Umino. And um, so yeah, yeah, that, that stuff was cool, man. Yeah, that, that in there. But yeah, I mean, Umino, you know, he stepped up big here. And this is what I was talking about earlier with the whole Sonata thing. Like, Osprey made a star here. Like, this, he helped elevate. Umino big time, but Umino he brought it, man. This, this is his greatest match ever. Like after this match, I'm like, all right, I, I'm bought in. I'm sold on Umino that he could be a top guy uh, if he can go out here. And yes, I know it was against Will Osprey, but I think he carried his load as well. He showed. You mentioned the fighting spirit, the facial expressions, the 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 heat, like the everything, the emotions, the moves. Like this was like a, a perfect match for him. If you're listening to this show, right, there's certain I, I know there's people that listen to the show that like it, it's kind of funny. There's a lot of people who obviously a lot of people that watch that listen to the show also watch New Japan. But there's a lot of people that like kind of just come to us and listen to us and, and like maybe they're lapsed fans or they just want to parachute in for the good stuff and they wait for us to watch it and tell them what's good <laughs> and stuff like that. Um if you're in that camp and you haven't seen this match, I'm telling you, you need to go out of your way and see this match. It, it's really, really phenomenal. Like, this is like peak New Japan. It, yeah. There were many times when I was watching it and I was thinking like, yeah, this is not far off from Shingo and, and Osprey. This is not far off from Okada, Omega, shit like that. Like, this is really top notch. And like, I know that some people, like, for instance, you know, we, we got that comment earlier about you know Sonata, but let me just say, like Sonata has never in his entire life had a match as good as Shota Umino had in this match. That's that's where we're at, right? And now. he that's probably he never will. Be champion, <laughs> huh? And he probably never will. He, he will never, bro. He'll never have a match on this level. It's not happening. Like this was outstanding. Yeah, like a star was born here in this match. The crowd was getting behind Umino, um, like. After this, I'm like, yeah, Umino, he can be the man. I, I, it, it felt like a young Tanahashi when he was like kind of coming up, and the fans weren't totally like bought into him yet. And he, mm-hmm. he, he kept having like these great performances, and then like it just kind of clicked, and it was like, yes, Tanahashi's the man. That's what it kind of felt like here. Yeah. Um, one thing I we didn't mention, and we probably should mention, um, the reception that Will Ospreay got. Oh my gosh! Out of this world, like he's never had a reaction in New Japan like that before. I mean, he's he's very popular. He gets good reactions, but like when he was in the ring and his music's playing, and the whole crowd's like, "Oh, spray, oh spray." That was the moment where I was like, damn, I don't want this guy to go. Like, and I'm <laughs> yeah. not, bro, like, yeah, I like Will Ospreay, but I'm not like the, I'm not a diehard Will, like, Will Ospreay's not my guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I recognize that he, I think right now, Will Ospreay's the best wrestler wrestling today, period. Um, and I, and I, I think he probably should win Wrestler of the Year across the board. 
when you look at the landscape of wrestling, I think he should be. But, um, you know, I, I've kind of always been, I've been okay with the idea that he's probably going to leave because I mean, it's not like we, we've been talking about it on this show for a while now. Like it's not a secret. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it's best for his career for him to move on what and and they're not going to push him as the top guy then what's left for him anyways you know it might as well move on but in that moment when he was getting those ospreys it reminded me of like a little bit it's not the same but a little bit of like what terry funk was like in all japan in the 80s and i'm like damn i can't remember i don't i, I mean I don't think Kenny ever got reactions like this. Like that was something special. Yeah, it's like it was just, I know, a wave of like just love and appreciation and energy, and it just yeah, it shows you how over Will is, what a star he is, the, the magnitude of that reaction, the whole Japanese audience that sing his theme song and being behind him, and like, dude, like these are the reactions of somebody who should be your world champion. Yeah, like, like Sonata has not gotten a reaction anywhere in the stratosphere of what Osprey got, and yes, I know that he does. Sonata does have some fans, and he he's gotten some reaction, but compare to this, like he has never and will never get a reaction, <laughs> and he will never <laughs> <laughs> that, that that Will Osprey got here when Elevated started, and then the Osprey Osprey. Like it, it was nuts. Oh, so we should probably move on. So ultimately, Will Osprey was able to hit the uh, Storm Driver ninety three. Um, Umino kicks out. He hits the Hidden Blade. Hits him with the uh, Stormbreaker. Picks up the one two three. Big show of support. Both guys are exhausted. They pay, you know, Will Ospreay pays tribute to Umino, bows to him. They show uh, love and respect. And, you know, we move on from there. So then it seems like Will's going to stand up and, uh, you know, maybe cut a promo. Suddenly, John Moxley gets in the ring. And they're, like, at a standoff. And you're like, oh, like, the crowd's like, oh. And and you're like, this is going to be the Wrestle Kingdom match. And then out of nowhere... David Finley runs in, decks both guys, gets the drop on him, blah, 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 booms, beats beats both of them up. He's got Gato with him. And then he cuts a promo about how he doesn't respect these belts. He doesn't respect both of these guys, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, the U.S. U.K. titles don't mean anything to him because, you know, in, in the U.K. they say he's, uh, you know, American. And, when, and in America they say he's Irish. And so he's going to show basically what these belts mean to him. And he takes a sledgehammer and he just bashes the belts and just fucking destroys them. It, it wasn't any sledgehammer. He he found the 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 fiend mallet. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think it was and, huge. Uh, yeah, he fucked those belts up, and so the belts are gone. And he had the last laugh, and that's how we close the show. You know, and that's pretty much it. That's that's the end. So I know we got a lot of questions here, a lot of thoughts about this. But it's very clear that we're we're and it's been confirmed now, but it's very clear we're leading to a triple threat match at the Tokyo Dome between these three gentlemen for whatever title will be. Yeah. Uh so a question here, Rambo Sam Pig says, Are you surprised that they are running the three way of Finley, Mox, and Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom instead of Osprey in a one on one match? If it really is his last Wrestle Kingdom as a NJPW contracted talent, 
Does this make it more likely Finley wins there to get a hometown the rub? Um, possibly. I I kind of well okay a couple things number one I think that it is a terrible decision to have it be a three way as the if it is in fact the final contracted match of Will Ospreay's run in New Japan the idea that this is the match um, and I'm sure it will be good because all three guys are good but like it that on paper sucks like I think it's really bad booking honestly um, I'm not a fan of it and I don't want to see it really realistically like i'd rather see john moxley and will osprey i kind of feel like this is a politically motivated move um and i do somewhat blame new japan but i kind of feel like i can't help but think that tony khan's hand is in here in some way um because i don't know that they want john moxley taking a loss at the tokyo dome you know what i mean right and the last time he wants to compete right and the last time they wrestled moxley Beat him with that scurry finish at a Windy City Riot. You mean Osprey? Or uh, did John Moxley win? I can't remember. Yeah, Moxley Moxley beat Osprey. It was like a scurry finish where the whole storyline where Osprey could get screwed by referees. Uh, and so yeah, Moxley got that scurry finish over him there. I also have a suspicion that yes, it is possible that you you know the logical booking decision should be uh the leader of the bullet club. Um, David Finley ousts, you know, Will Ospreay from the company. He gets the claim that he ousted Jay White and Ospreay. He's the new champion, yada, yada. But I feel like he might be there to be the pin eater. That's initially what I thought when he, when he first came out. I'm like, this kind of screams, we can't beat Moxley and we don't want to beat Will. So that's what I think. We're we're gonna throw fin- old Finley in here to uh, do a job. That's kind of what I think, and I know some people think that's crazy and everything, but like, you know, I I don't know. That's what it feels like, especially like, you know. And then hypothetically, we've seen um, John Moxley be a New Japan champion in AW in the past, and we've seen that Will has a willingness to travel. You know, I don't think it's that far gone of a conclusion to think that they could easily belt one of those two guys up and they could be contracted at AEW and still come back. And I'm not advocating for that because we experienced that in the past and it, it wasn't great. And I didn't love the outcome of when, you know, Kenny was, you know, U.S. champion, but I'm not putting it past them to do that. Yeah, um, and I think a thing to people to remember, like, Will's contract is up in February, and usually there are, like, big new beginning shows that happen end of January and beginning of February. So if you want Will's last big match to put somebody over and give the belt to them, like, there's still time to do that. So there, there is a plausible reasoning for Will to win this match still. And See, I didn't realize that. I thought he was done in January. No, February. That kind of reminds me of Nakamura was the same way. But remember, like, Nakamura, they just kind of, like, he was supposed to have a title match against Kenny Omega, and mm-hmm. then they just cut his contract short, and, and he left. Yeah. And the match never happened. So, yeah, so, so, I mean, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, as of now, yeah, February of 2024 is when Will's contract is 
is, is up. Yeah, but the idea that this is the final Tokyo Dome match we're getting feels oh, that's terrible. That's yeah. terrible. That, like, yeah, it's that's not good. Booking malpractice. Like, how are yeah. you not going to put Will Ospreay in a singles match at Tokyo Dome? I loved, though, that the poster had Will on one side, and then it looks like it's John Moxley <laughs> and uh, David Finley as a tag team. And I was like, oh, okay, they're doing a, a handicap match. This man got too powerful. They need to find a way to get the belt off of him. C- combination of the clubs. Yeah, the Bullet Club and the BCC. <laughs> All, same shit. <laughs> Uh, Rambones also says Do you think it was a mistake to not pull the trigger On Shota Umino beating Osprey I know he got over in defeat But we are still waiting for a big Signature win from another of the Next generation talent Is this a sign of the booking still being Too conservative Um, You know I, My knee jerk reaction was yes that what that's what i thought at first like yeah that is the case but you know i've had some time to reflect and one thing i've kind of thought is these guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon um and it's okay if they develop over time um and what i mean by that is like if they're not ready to be champion like we might think they are right but Mm -hmm. maybe they're not Maybe they've needed some seasoning. Maybe they need the audience to get more invested in them. And they need to have some failures in kayfabe before they're ready to take the step up and be the top guys in the company. That's okay because they are pretty young and they are going to be here for a while. And, you know, it's okay if they're not winning the world titles or the U.S. title in their first or second shot, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because for instance, you look at like Kazushka or I'm sorry, you look at, that's actually different. That that's the exception. That's the one guy (laughs) where like he won it and like he, he's off to the races that that would be your argument to do it. But you look at like Nakamura, Nakamura was the super rookie and he was winning the world title, like right out the gate. And he was not ready for it. And the audience was not ready to accept him. And it actually hurt him in the long run and kind of stagnated him. And one of the reasons he never did, you know, eventually he became a big star, but like, you know, he was always kind of in the shadow of Tanahashi because Tanahashi took a a tougher road to get to, to the pinnacle as opposed to Nakamura. And by the time Nakamura went, re went on excursion and came back and reinvented himself, I don't know if you guys realize, like, he never did win the world title again after that. He kind of mm-hmm. had to be relegated to being the second place guy because he he got too much too soon. And that can really be a detriment to a star. You know what I mean? Um, am I saying that, you know, Su- if Suji was world champion right now or if uh, Umino had won the, the U.S. title, that things wouldn't be, that that wouldn't be cool? It could be cool, but. I think it's okay for them to not have one and for them to have a path to getting there down the line. Yeah. We, we mentioned this before that, you know, Gator loves booking tragedies um, and he's gotten people over in that way. Um, so yeah, there, there was a part of me that wanted to see Umino, you know, finally beat will, especially after this match and have this big moment. Um, but I do think there is something like, like you're saying to, 
kind of getting these uh, more invested with the fans, giving them some big losses for them to eventually overcome and uh, you know fight some adversity until so the crowd would really take to them. Like I feel like after this match, I feel like Ubino's uh, crowd reaction is probably going to be even better than it already is, and I feel like he really got over here. Um, so could he have won? Sure, but I think in the long run, this him losing here might be better for him. Um, now I will say this, um, and maybe my thoughts on this have changed a little bit since you mentioned that, uh, Will's actually done in February. I wasn't aware of that. My feeling was that his final match in the, in the company was, uh, January 4th and who knows, maybe it will be, but I do think that it should be a young guy beating Will Ospreay for the title and getting that rub. I, I don't necessarily have a preference over who it should be. Um, I am partial to Suji, but I would be okay with it being Umino, especially after this match. But I I don't love the idea that after this long, lengthy, important you know run, that he would lose it in a triple threat match to you know John Moxley or David Finley like that's. I don't know. That kind of sucks. Yeah. And, and it feels like that would be a real waste of an opportunity. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Dragon master Adams. It's not really a question, but new Japan has missed many big moments this year that it kind of worries me about where they're heading with this rebuilding phase of the promotion. Yota and Shota should have won their title matches and it became clear in Shota's case just minutes later. I don't, I don't totally agree, but I, I see what you're saying. You know, the, the thought that he should have definitely won because otherwise we wind up with, you know, Moxley and, and the triple threat with uh, David Finley. So I, I understand uh, why you feel that way. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, but I think in the long run, I, I think that this might end up being better for him. You know, and I'm, I'm, on, I'm on their team. I do feel like the young guys do need to start getting some wins because you don't want them to be seen as like, job guys are losers um but i do think after a match like this and a loss that umino got over and lost yeah like when this show first started you know we used to have a, a saying trusting gato you know <laughs> gato's never steered us wrong you know that sort of thing and like you don't hear us saying shit like that so i'm i'm right there with you like i'm not 100 percent confident that they're going to handle all these guys perfectly and i mean there's a lot of guys that they got to handle, you know, beyond, I mean, you got the Noge Dojo guys, you got your Suji, Yumura, you know, um, Umura, Shu- Narita, Shotomino, Narita, but then you also got like the Western guys, you got Gabe Kidd, you got Alex Coughlin, you got Joe Maloney just came in. Like there's a lot of young talent that they sort of got to figure their, you know, even, um, uh, Kevin Knight, you know, there's a lot of young talent that they kind of got to figure out how they're going to fit into the mold and, and be in this company. Mm-hmm. And they haven't exactly handled it stellarly up to this point. Um, there've definitely been some promises that have, you know, they've shown some promise this past year and, and things have been looking up, um, which is a positive sign, but I'm not sitting here thinking like, okay, I know for a fact that Gato is going to work all this out and all these guys are going to be made men because we don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what uh, old Gato does with these guys. 
Uh, next question here, uh, Let's Commission 7252. Is Osprey the guy who made the U.S. belt special and made it something mean and made it mean something the same way Nakamura was for the IC title? Not saying that the IC belt wasn't special when it was held by Tanahashi, Naito, Ibushi, and more, but when people think of it, the first person that they think of is Nakamura. Well, yeah. Um, I think that the IC title is synonymous with Nakamura. Um, at this point, it, it's kind of interesting because, like, when the belt first came into existence, it was Kenny Omega's belt, and he mm-hmm. was like the really def- he had a, a very impactful, defining title reign that first reign, and and then the title kind of dipped in quality after after he dropped it. Um, and there have been some good champions since then, but at this point in time, there is no denying that the greatest U.S. champion slash I guess UK champion in the in the lineage of that title's history is Will Ospreay and his accomplishments and his match quality while he's been defending the title they trump anything that Kenny did with the belt they trump anything that John Moxley did with the belt like he is I don't know if he's seen by everybody as the defining guy but he's definitely the best champion the belt's ever had yeah I think Kenny and Will are the two names that I will think of when I think about the IWGP U.S. title. I mean, it's kind of hard not to think about Kenny being the first champion and then kind of kicking the belt off for, for great reign. But then like you mentioned, like Will was able to, you know, get the belt. And then he had all these incredible matches over the last uh, couple of years, whether, whether he was challenging or defending the title. Um, so I think, yeah, Will's definitely going to be, I think, remembered as uh, one of the best U.S. champions and be one of the names people think of when they talk about that, that title. Now, here's something I didn't, I did not like. So they fucking destroyed the belts, <laughs> and I get it. Like that's the heat and everything. And you know, uh, we're gonna get to the the announcements, but there's apparently going to be a new title, and we don't know what that title is gonna be. It's not gonna be a U.S. or U.K. title, we think. But um, they they destroyed the actual physical belts, and like. That kind of sucks. <laughs> and like, you know, it would be one thing if it was like WWF in the in the 80s, like when Mr. Perfect and the genius destroyed the winged eagle. Like it was okay because you knew that WWF was going to replace that belt with another, you know, winged eagle because they could pony up the money to do that. New Japan doesn't do that shit. Like they, <laughs> they pay for one belt and that belt is it. Like that's the belt and it doesn't matter how damaged it gets or what the fuck happens to it. Like they're not going, if it gets broken, like bro, when the icy title, when Naito broke it, they didn't pay for a new icy title. Tanahashi paid for a new fucking icy title. And it was far. It's a a replica. (laughs) It was a replica. And you could tell it was a replica when, when, when the double gold was held and he would hold, and you know, uh, like Naito would hold like the V4 IWGP title, and it's like plated and like incredible looking and has all this detail. And then he'd hold the IC belt, and it's like, why is it that color? Why is it so thin? Like, because it's not the same quality, because New Japan's not going to replace it. And like, if these belts got destroyed, it'd be cool if I thought like they would replace the US title, even just to kind of have. In, in, in a showcase, you know, like behind glass, you know, like with all the trophies that they keep in it or whatever. 
but like they're not gonna do that like that's it the red belt is fucking dead like, it <laughs> got destroyed <laughs> and they don't even like they don't even sell replicas of it so like i, I think, think, I think they do oh, no, no they're there are replica makers making bootlegs, okay. but they don't. I, I thought, they don't sell one. I thought Tokon started. Maybe I I missed all that. Maybe. Well, you know, I'm wrong a lot, so <laughs> I could be wrong. I think they just sell the IWGP belts. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, that that was that's kind of that kind of stinks, but we'll see what uh, they they come up with with the new title. Um, so let's question seven two five two also says uh, the story of Osprey. Of all, the story of Osprey's year has been excellent, making a title mean something and making it more relevant than it's been since the pandemic. Facing obstacles as the U.S. champion while avenging his defeats from the likes of Omega, Okada, Zack Sabre Jr., Shingo, and Jericho. Facing young talent in Umino, Gabe Kidd, Okan, Leon Slater, Oku, and Ricky Knight Jr. With him being a candidate as wrestler of the year, what is the one negative aspect from this year long story? I would have to say him being out of the world title picture since his last shot of for the world title was last year's Wrestle Kingdom. Totally agree. Yeah, I think that's the the main thing, him not being in the title picture. Um let's see next question here from Lazy Binger. Is there anything more sure in wrestling today than an Osprey Marquee match? Nope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see Osprey in the main event, you you know what you're gonna get. He also asked, how is it not a booking malpractice if Osprey indeed doesn't have a straight-up 1v1 match at Wrestle Kingdom? Oh, it is. It's booking malpractice. Yeah, a very, very bad call. It, it, it's bad. It's a bad call. He also says, is it, a, is it conspiracy, conspiratorial to think that they would book that only to ensure Osprey doesn't end up stealing the show again? I don't think that that has anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Osprey's been in three ways, four ways, and ha- still has an incredible matchups. So I don't think that's necessarily what they're trying to do. I do think it's politically charged and motivated, though. I just I have that feeling. Yeah. Uh, MJSPR says, when all is said and done, who will have had the more meaningful NJPW run, Kenny or Will? That's a very tough call. Um I feel like Kenny um, just for more so for like historical impact reasons and influence, but that's a tough call. Yeah, that, that, that is a very, I mean, I, I think you could argue, argue either guy and make cases for either guy. Um, but I think, I think Kenny kind of set, set the stage for will. So, yeah, but you know, I, I think like the alpha Omega matches, the Okada matches, the stuff he did in the G1. Like, I I think that Kenny really brought New Japan to a golden age and a forefront, mm-hmm. uh, especially for Western audiences that, like, even though there's probably an argument that Will has had a better catalog of matches, I don't think he m- means as much historically as Kenny Omega did in, in his time. Mm. Uh, next question here from Matt three one five. Despite Osprey's comments, do you think they're bringing back the IC title? If not, what do we replace the US slash UK title with? Was there even a point? And Amelia Obadelia on Twitter says, "Where do you think? Where do we, where do we go with this US UK scene?" And Osprey mocks Finley. Are we bringing back the IC belt? So uh, you know, 
they could hypothetically bring the intercontinental title back. It's been alluded to a lot of people have talked about that for a long time and it seemed to be teased. And I could only see if they did do that, I could only see them doing that one of two ways. They basically start a new lineage saying that it's a new intercontinental title the new like (laughs) like a spiritual successor to the original but it doesn't have the same lineage it's just it's a new version of it which isn't unheard of i mean the iwgp had two versions the first one you know started in 83 and then the second one had the lineage start in 87 which didn't include hulk hogan (laughs) um the other thing they could do is they could do a retcon. I don't think they're going to do this. If it's me and I wanted to reintroduce that title, I would just basically pull the IC title out of the world title entirely and say that the world title is going to retroactively continue the lineage of the IWGP title. So that kind of fixes that problem. And then you just basically restart the IC title using the same lineage it had before. But I got to tell you, Jeremy, I don't think they're bringing back an intercontinental title. Yeah, I don't think so either. And uh, based off what we heard today from um, Sugabayashi, so it was a press conference and he said that the IWGP US slash UK title will be replaced by a new championship that the promotion is creating. Um, regarding the IWGP US belt, we will establish a new championship. It is true that the fans were confused as to whether it was IWGP US or UK, so we have created a new championship. We will announce the details later. Yeah, and we have a lot of questions about this. I don't know if you want to go through those or how you... Uh, yeah, we can run through them real quick. So Wukong 901, what are your best guesses for the name of the new title? I seize off the table, apparently. Red people say all Atlantic. I'd love Universal because that would be rips. <laughs> I'm not sure where he heard that IC was off the t- table. I haven't heard that. I think maybe he's just looking at the wording of Subayashi and saying that you're creating a new title. I think Will said that in, in his backstage promo too that it wouldn't be um, IC title also. I think what he said. I I I heard his backstage comments and he was saying that it should be the IC, but if it's not then it should be like a, a new world title or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Rambone says, uh, signs point to the imminent return of the Intercontinental title. Should the new title continue the previous lineage, lineage or start fresh? What is your favorite title match for the IC title? Who was the greatest IC champion during its first run? Oh, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess to answer that, I think my favorite IC title match, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just guessing off the top of my head, probably... Nakamura Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, there's that one. Um, I would also I can go uh, Nakamura AJ. Wrestle Kingdom wasn't that for IC title? Oh yeah, that was. You're right. Yeah. 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 And I would say probably yeah, uh, great IC champion would probably be Nakamura. It's Nakamura yeah. with Naito being like number two. Yeah. Um, as far as what the new title should do, we kind of talked about that. What it should do. Um, I don't know what what they should name it if they're not going to call it IC. Um, the last oh. question here, uh, Dark Soldier, with the U.S. title now dead, like Goto's hopes and dreams of being a main eventer, what is your, <laughs> what is your critical reception of the title? I personally feel the belt really came to be a pretty prestigious title with the people attached to it, and even positions on the card. Sure, there were ups and downs and low periods, but I'm sad to see it go. What say you? I, I am a little disappointed because I, aesthetically it wasn't my favorite 
felt necessarily. I, I never loved the, the look and design of the title, but because of who held it uh, and various points in the company's history, it was a pretty important title. So the fact that they just fucking trashed it kind of sucks, <laughs> but uh, you know, whatever. Um, you know, Jeremy, I've got the sneaking suspicion that this belt, and I don't know what it's going to be titled, but I think it's going to revolve around their plans to potentially market themselves more into like Eastern and Southeast Asia and Oceania. Yeah. And you have the strong titles to be the quote unquote, you know, U.S. branded titles. So I think the strong titles can can, can, uh, facilitate that need. And then, yeah, you create something that's a little bit more globally based and can really be pulled into it. Yeah. That's that stuff that they're going to be doing in Asia next year. Well, like for instance, uh, from like a boxing perspective, there's the OPBF, which is like the Oriental Pacific Boxing Federation. And usually like if you're a boxer in Japan, you've got like the Japanese titles. And then the next step up would be like the OPBF. And that's like where you fight all throughout like Thailand and China and the Philippines and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it kind of encapsulates all those regions. And then, you know, eventually you jump up to the world stage. So I'm not saying it should be called an Oriental title. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I wouldn't be surprised if they market it some way to that region of the world. Kind of like how the U.S. title was originally envisioned to be part of their expansion into the U.S. It might be a, a, a wise idea for them to have it you know, be region specific to like Eastern, Southeast Asia, Oceania. I don't know. I don't know what you would call that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, then a uh, question here from Matt 315. What's the current best feud heading into Wrestle Kingdom 18? Oh, that's a tough question because even though the card so far looks pretty good, I don't know that I love many of the feuds. Probably the best feud would be Okada and Danielson. Danielson and that's kind of by default because they're one of the only matches that actually have a, a quote unquote feud going on. Yeah. So uh, we did get some of the matches announced official. So oh, one thing I did want to say before we move on, I think they'd be wise to have the strap of the belt still be white. Yeah, and which there has been a lot of teases of a white strap. Even Gideon Gray on Twitter and commentary during real questions. Like, do you remember that white title? Whatever, whatever happened to that white title? So, it, it would be smart for them, even if it's not the intercontinental title, for it to be white. It would harken back to that, you know, to that prestige and what that was, and people will attach themselves better to it if that's the case. Um, I'm sure Built by Dan's probably working on something. Yeah. Uh, so we do have some matches officially announced for Wrestle Kingdom 18, Thursday, January 4th, 2024, 2.30 a.m. Eastern Start Time on NJPW World. So we know that the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Sonata will defend against the G1 winner Tetsuya Naito, Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada 2, Will Ospreay versus John Moxley versus Dave Finley in a three-way for the new championship. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Hiromu Takahashi will defend against El Desperado and the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. The Bullet Club War Dogs team of Clark Connors and Drilla Maloney will defend against Catch 2-2, two, two, 
TJP and Francesco Akira. You know what? Um, speaking of feuds, the the junior title actually has a pretty good uh, build. Yeah, there's a really good story there. Yeah, catch you two being zero two now against the Warlogs. Uh, can they finally beat them? I think it's going to lead to a cool moment at the dome for uh, catch two two. Uh, Death Triangle seven twenty says with Wrestle Kingdom eighteen shaping up, how do you feel about Chingo versus Tama again potentially at the dome? Slightly disappointed. I'm sure it'll be good. I like Tama, but you know I want Shingo to have like I mean unless Tama wants to put on his uh, big boy pants and and you know strike with him and, and go to war, um, I want to see Shingo have like you know I want I want to see him have the kind of match he had with like Jeff Cobb a couple years in the dome. Yeah, a couple years ago. Uh, he also says, do you guys think if Gabe Kidd was in Finley's position at Earth's Kingdom, the reception wouldn't have been as bad by fans? No. I mean, I mean, that's a there's a lot of variables there. Like if you just transplanted Gabe Kidd today as the leader of Bull Club, I don't I don't know that. I think for people that are very uh, invested into New Japan, like the hardcores, they they love Gabe Kidd, but he's not over right now. You know, he's got a lot of upside. Um, maybe if he had been the guy that took over and had a chance to be pushed like Finley and. And now we're here, maybe it'd be a different story, but no. Yeah, I think traditionally people just don't really like three ways anyway. And the idea of a uh, an Osprey Moxley match is people want that. You know, people forgot that it happened at Windy City Riot and had the screwy finish. So I think people want, you know, another match in Japan. Um, so I think, yeah, no matter who the third guy was, I think people would would have been upset. This coming week on uh, Friday, November 10th, New Japan Lone Star Shootout, 8 p.m. Eastern. It is airing on Fight TV as uh, a pay-per-view. And we have the full card here. So the pre-show will be a strong survivor match with Barrett Brown taking on Matt Vandegrift. As well on the pre-show, Fred Rosser will take on Tom Lawler. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the best feuds of this brand, uh, the finding feud and these guys it's on are... the pre-show. That's fucking weird. <laughs> and on the main card, we've got uh, Atlantis, Mascara Dorada, and Tiger Mask taking on Hechicero, Rocky Romero, and Ultimo Guerrero. Toriano versus Joey Janela. The Gorillas of Destiny team of Tamatanga and Tangaloa take uh, teaming with the Intergalactic Jet Setters to take on the Bull Club team of Coughlin, Chase Owens, Clark Connors, and Gabe Kidd. NJPW strong openweight tag team titles will be on the line as the Gorillas of Destiny, El Fantasma, and Hikaleo defend their titles against the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Jarrell Nelson, and Royce Isaacs. TJP will be taking on Mystico in one-on-one action. The NJPW strong openweight title will be defended as Eddie Kingston defends against Satoshi Kojima. Bullet Club team of David Finley and Kenta take on the Blackpool Combat Club's uh, John Moxley and Wheeler Utah. The NJPW World Television title will be on the line as Zack Sabre Jr. defense against Mike Bailey. And in the semi-main event, the IWGP Women's title will be on the line as Mayo Iwatani defense against Stephanie Vakur. And then your main event, the Never Openweight title is on the line as Shingo Takagi defense against Trent Beretta. Yeah, so this should be a, a pretty good card. A lot of title matches. Um, we'll probably maybe get, even get some angles that build into Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, so yeah, it should be a fun show. Yeah, I got a message from uh, 
I guess I joked about going to the show a few weeks ago. I don't know, but uh, Floyd like messaged me today. He's like, "Are you going to the to Lone Star Shootout?" And I was like, "Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> did I did I miss something? Do I need to go to Lone Star Shootout?" And then I looked at the card and I was like, "I'm not going to this. Like, driving to Texas or flying to Texas to watch it. I'll watch this on pay per view. It's okay." <laughs> but yeah, it looks like a pretty good show. Um, you know, I don't know if there's anything. Honestly, I think. Uh, this is probably going to surprise people, <laughs> but uh, keeping it a buck, I think the Mayu versus Stephanie Vakor match is the match I'm most looking forward to on the whole card. Yeah, that that match is going to be great. Um, uh, I, I think Shingo and Trent's actually going to be a really fun match. That will be good. Uh, I, I also think Zack Saber Jr. and Mike Bailey will probably be great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, any final predictions or anything like that for the show? Uh, I think Shingo's going to retain. I expect Mayu to retain. I think Zach will retain. Eddie I don't will, know. Eddie I don't will, see any title changes coming. Yeah, I think maybe West Coast Trucking Crew could uh, beat uh, Phantasmo and Hikaleo. I, I would welcome that. I, I, I would like that a lot because that, those guys should have already been champions a long time ago. But Awesome. Well, let's move on to the news. So... Um, before facing Sonata at Wrestle Kingdom, Tetsuya Naito will undergo surgery to improve the superior oblique muscle paralysis in his right eye, causing double vision. Uh, this has plagued him since 2019, so he's going to be out of the World Tag League Tour. NJPW made a post on their site about contact with wrestlers outside events. NJPW emphasizes the importance of respecting the personal space and privacy of their wrestlers. They discourage fans from waiting for wrestlers outside of designated fan events including entrances and exits from venues. Such behavior around venues and hotels is noted to disrupt personal time and regular business for other guests and staff. The post warns against overtly aggressive actions or stalking, stating that such behavior may involve local law enforcement. Fans are kindly asked to refrain from waiting at various locations, taking photos without consent, approaching wrestlers outside of official events, bringing gifts or fan mail directly, and gathering in large numbers around the venues. So, um, yeah, when I first saw this, um, my knee-jerk reaction was like, what the fuck? Why are they, like, why are they freaking out? Like, fans, like, fans can't just, like, you know, go up to a wrestler and, like, interact with them. But then I thought, like, I better look into this. And then I started seeing, like, somebody did something bad. Like, I don't know who it was. It was some fan, some creepy ass fan. And then I thought like, you know what, Jeremy, most, you know, most listeners of this show, they're cool. They're like us, but not all wrestling fans are like us. Like, no, there's, some fucking, there's a lot of fucking weird wrestling fans. There, there are people who will, will find wrestlers flight schedules and wait for them at the airport. They'll, they'll find their home address and, and mail them stuff um, that there, there are some, yeah, some people who take it too far. I do think that this, the wording of this, um, so, you know, the, the rumor, and I don't, it's not substantiated, but the rumor and the assumption is that somebody did something fucking weird when it comes to like Julia, you know, which kind of makes sense because I've, I don't remember New Japan ever, you know, putting a post like this out there with such strong language. Um, I do feel like maybe they should have, I don't know. I don't know what they should have done, but it, it, when I first read this, not knowing that an incident had taken place, I kind of felt like, damn, like, you know, I, I understand 
that you definitely want to respect the personal, you know, privacy of wrestlers. But like, I've had a ton of like positive interactions with, you know, wrestlers from new Japan in and out of like official quote unquote environments. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, something happened and they're probably trying to establish boundaries with the fan base, which is, is fine. But it's probably one of those things where, like, if you're not a fucking weirdo doing weird shit, most wrestlers will be cool. And if they don't, they'll tell you to fuck off. Like the time Will Ospreay told me to fuck off. <laughs> and, and you know what I did? I did. <laughs> felt really bad about it. But yeah. Uh, but most of the time, if you're cool, like, the wrestlers will be cool. Yeah. I mean, the amount of wrestler interactions, like you mentioned, that we've had over the years. And yeah, they're, they're, if you're cool, they're, they're cool. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing, and this feel like I don't think this is probably like a, a Japanese fan issue because I feel like they kind of have a more kind of a code of contact conduct and kind of understanding, and it's like there's more like meet and greets. I feel like it's probably like you mentioned probably happened like at a U.S. show. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, that's gonna do it for the news. So uh, we got some questions, and we're gonna get out of here. Yeah, so uh, Reddit user Stolen Tombstones says, what are your thoughts on UMR's return from Excursion, and how would you compare it against the rest of his class? I've only seen him in the one match here, so I don't really have a, a frame of reference to, uh, you know, to talk about how it's gone. I don't know, and it's only been one tour anyways. Yeah, I think it's been fine. I think it's a little underwhelming compared to everybody else that's come back so far. I mean, he just kind of came back and joined just five guys and helped them beat evil and stuff, but since he's that, had no singles matches. Right, no singles, and he's been in tags, which most of which have ended in draws, and then he just ate a, a loss to Suji in a tag match, so it's been kind of underwhelming when you consider like Suji came back, got a world title match, Narita came back, was in the TV tournament, Umino came back, challenged Osprey. Like, uh, everybody else has come back and had something a little bit bigger. Uh, they'll say, what happened between Sho and Yo before and during their match on Thursday? They, they didn't address it backstage, and there's no subtitles during their shows. I think he might have been referring to the whole kiss thing that we talked about last week. Um, yeah. I, I, I already said everything I want to say about that <laughs> shit. <laughs> Uh, it says, who leads the uh, Empire if Osprey leaves? I don't know. Ocon. Who knows? Yeah, I, I would say either. It'd probably be a combination between Ocon and, and Cobb. Um, they rarely ever do anything like that in New Japan. They probably would want to either elevate a guy within the group as the leader or replace Osprey and bring someone else in as the new leader yeah i'm not uh, sure who that would be i know callum newman's still you know kind of getting seasoned but if the timing was right it could have been kind of cool for him to take over i mean i would probably prefer jeff cobb but i don't know that jeff cobb is uh he's a great talent and i really do respect him but i'm not sure he's a good mouthpiece like as far as like a promo to be that guy yeah also asked, should New Japan bring back crossover showcases with Western promotions again, like Honor Rising? Well, they, oh, like in Japan. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, they did the 
they've been doing them over in the US. I guess they could they could do some of that in uh Japan. The closest thing we got this year was the New Japan Strong Independence Day shows, which kind of felt kind of like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would definitely welcome, yeah. I mean, they're working with AW slash ROH to either yeah, bring back on a rising, you do some kind of forbidden door in Japan. Um we do get Fantastic Mania. That's right, and it is going to be back in uh, February, so that should be fun. He also asked, uh, if Strong does become a weekly program once again, what should New Japan do differently? I don't even know, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought the weekly show was good for the most part. Like, they told good stories. They built stars. They built rivalries. They, they had good championship matches. Um I think just being more consistent with, you know, blending in guys from actual New Japan into the stories more. And I, I think I hated the production. The production oh, sucked. Yeah. And yeah, I think there needed to be more c- consistency and continuity with New Japan proper. And then uh, I would have pre- I, I thought it would have been good for them to have more like promo time, not. I'm not saying it needs to be like a Western style show. Don't get me wrong, but there was just very little of any kind of segment at any point where anybody really talked in a mic and cut any promos or forwarded feuds and stuff like that. It rarely happened. Right. Yeah. Uh, Death Triangle 720 says with world tag league being the last stop before the dome, which team is your pick to win? Well, it's not because we'll have the road to Tokyo dome. That's right. And um, I don't even know who's in the tournament. Right, we don't have a lineup yet, so it's kind of hard to predict. <laughs> uh, he says, if the opportunity came and Nakajima did join New Japan, could you see him as a faction leader in New Japan? If so, who could be in his group? Oh, that you know what? That's something I guess we should talk about. So uh, Katsuhika Nakajima has uh, made his um, appearance in All Japan Pro Wrestling. He uh, beat... Uh, Aoyagi for the, I think that's the champion, right? Yuma yes. Aoyagi. Yep. Beat him for the All Japan Triple Crown Championship. And it looks like his next challenger is Kenta Miyahara, who he defeated in Noah earlier this year. Um, there is some speculation that this is a short term or like a freelance deal. And he's just kind of there to pick up a title and drop it to Kenta Miyahara, transitional sort of deal. And maybe he'll be there long term, but, you know, maybe he'll be still a free agent that could hypothetically sign with like a new Japan or elsewhere. I would love if he went there, did his business with Kento Miyahara and then came over because with uh will leaving and, and other guys that might hypothetically be leaving as well, like they could really use that star power. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I know that yeah, he's kind of freelancing right now and doing the whole all Japan thing. But yeah, if he were to come over He'd be welcome. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure who you, you put in his group. Maybe he you, you can put him with strong style. I feel like he would kind of fit in with Suzuki and Rita and Despy. Um, I would just say start a new faction. True, yeah. Uh, let's see. Next question here from uh, Cash and Koji. One, who will be the face of New Japan in the next decade or so? I love Suji, and I thought Chota Umino looked like a star against Osprey. Um, I mean, my pick has always been either Suji or Yumura, but I, I, I don't, or I'm sorry, not Suji, uh, has always been Umino or Yumura, but I don't know at this point. It's tough because Suji's up there too. It could be any of those guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably have to say either Suji or Umino just based off of things right now. But, you know, people advance, change, evolve. Um, but I think those are definitely going to be two of the top guys in the next decade. Uh, Young Line 95, what was the best Sonata offense match this year? And what was the worst? And why is it against Evil? I don't even know. Uh <laughs> What the, what the best defense maybe it has to be either the Hiromu match or the Suji match. It's the Suji match. Yeah, I would say probably. Yeah, maybe Jack Perry. Uh, no. I was just joking. <laughs> yeah, I definitely go Suji. Um, and yeah, I mean, the evil match was the worst. And if you want to know why that match was the worst, you you can listen back a few weeks ago where I gave my whole rant about. Why that match was so awful Yeah that match sucks I didn't watch it but it sucks <laughs> uh, Rambo and Slam Pig With Nakajima winning the Triple Crown And AJPW I assume the likelihood of him wrestling Shingo In the near future has increased Other than the potential rematch of Tamatanga Who are likely matchups for Shingo Heading into Dome season Oh it'd be so cool if they brought in Nakajima And that's that's the match Um, I don't know Ishii's not, you know, he's got nothing going on. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's already, he beat Ishii at Royal Quest. Um, Fuck it. Run it back. <laughs> um, trying to think who else that's kind of out there. Um, yeah, I can't really think of uh, Suzuki, maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't need to see any more Suzuki. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure who you throw up against. All right, well, that's going to do it for the questions, and it's good because I'm getting tired. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we'll wrap up here. Recommended match of the week. So last week I picked the Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey match from... We we picked. We. We. <laughs> uh, from uh, the recent uh, Impact, uh, what was that, Bound for Glory uh, show? I gotta tell you, Jeremy, I made a mistake. I watched this match after I watched Osprey and Umino, mm. and it might have uh, swayed my my opinion. But you know, I, I gotta tell you, I I'd seen a lot of the outrage surrounding this match and everything. Um, I, I'm not gonna sit here and say I was outraged or that I didn't like the match, but I also think I think the scores I was seeing on it, and this is just my personal opinion, are like. Very, very over hyped. Yeah. I think the match is good, but you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like a really, really high end WrestleMania weekend showcase match from right. like a, like a, like, like 27, a, 2018, 2017, like a 2016 Evolve, you know, WrestleMania weekend match or, or one of those, uh, like, the WWN Super Show or the WrestleCon Super Show type matches. Um, and, and this match was supposed to happen on Mania weekend, I think a couple years ago, but Osprey or some, or one of them got her sick or something like that. And it, it was this year. It was the Multiverse that's right, uh, yeah. United match, and then he uh, Speedball ended up working Tanahashi. I, I think these guys have a much better match in them. Um, they went out there and they did – I mean, it's a cool match. Like, that's the thing. It's cool. They did a lot of really cool shit. But for me to like, and this is just my personal opinion on wrestling, I think for me to say that something is like in the top 
end of great matches. There needs to be gravity and stakes and like veritas. There needs to be something that actually means something that matters about the match. And to me, this just reminded it. It kind of like remember when people were freaking out about uh, Ricochet and and uh, Will Osprey and saying it was gymnastics routine. I'm not going to go that far because this wasn't that. But I kind of feel a little bit of that vibe where it was like they were just out there doing shit, and it was really great shit. But I wasn't living and dying with this match, and I wasn't like super invested and and believing everything they did. It just kind of was like a cool showcase match. I'd probably go like four and a quarter. Maybe that sounds crazy. I don't know. But like Dave went five and a quarter. And I just can't. <laughs> I don't think that this match is better than every five-star match in the history of professional wrestling. That, that's fucking crazy to me. I don't even think I don't even think that this is gonna like make I, maybe you'll disagree. I don't know, but I don't think that this should even be nominated for like excursion match of the year. Yeah, I mean I'm uh four and a half. Uh, range on that which is great but it's not like the five and five and a quarter that people are throwing at it and yeah i think it was a great showcase like look at all the cool stuff we can do kind of match which i like those matches and those are fine but i think when you're yeah you're trying to say that that match is on the same level as umino osprey as omega osprey from this year both of them like no, <laughs> I think I think like um, one of the the problems for me is like how how hyped it was. So I had these certain expectations going into it, you know. Mm-hmm. But it is it is like it's a show, and like a grant. Like for instance, I think you were almost five stars on the match they had last year at Rep Pro. <laughs> yeah. So you know it, they're clearly capable of better matches than this. Yeah, and it's on that that impact slash TNA stage, and uh, the crowd, the live crowd, was really hot for the match. They yeah. loved the match. Oh, that's another thing. Like, okay, so I'm supposed to believe that this is the greatest TNA match of all time, better than Joe Daniels and AJ Styles. Like, no, bro, it's not. <laughs> it's not even in the same stratosphere as that match. Like, it's it's a great match, but like that's an like still maybe the best triple threat i've ever seen in my life it's not as good as that yeah dave's tripping (laughs) um but yeah it was very good i mean maybe it will get nominated i i don't i can't imagine it will i feel like this year's excursion match the year awards like it's gonna have to like most of the matches that are getting nominated are like super high end because of how exceptional the wrestling outside of new japan has been for excursion matches yeah, it's definitely gonna be a, a very high bar. It's gonna be like it's the match house is gonna be have like some kind of average of like four point seven five or above to to get on there. Um, so Close to that. Yeah. So I mean, it's gonna need a high consensus because I mean, there's there's been some great stuff out of it out out there this year, and I mean, Will's in a lot of it, and I don't think that this to me from what I've seen from Will this year, I didn't think that this was like one of his tip top end excursion matches. Yeah, I, I think it was a great match. But yeah, when you look at some of the other stuff that he's done around the world this year, um, it's not, I don't know if this is cracks the list. The one positive thing I will say, because it sounds like I'm shitting on the match and maybe I shouldn't be so negative. The one cool thing about this match, and and in some ways it is kind of like the Will Ospreay Ricochet matches, 
This is a match where you have two guys doing shit that only they could do. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that's cool about it. Like only Mike Bailey and Will Ospreay could have this match with each other, regardless of how much I enjoyed it. There is no one else out there that could be doing this match. So, you know, um, it was very, it's still worth your it's still worth your time to check out. Yeah, it's very like early X division vibes where it's like these two great athletes who can only do certain types of moves are doing it. So you get your early like AJ Styles versus like PD Williams versus Amazing Red, like those kind of guys uh, from the, the early days of the TNA X division. Um, and so it was definitely that kind of vibe of match. Yeah, it's it's, it's an awesome match, and if you love. Flips and, and moves you pro, you'll probably be higher on it uh, which I, I love that stuff too but um, I think it was yeah like a four and a half I could see you know four and a quarter you know it's, it was a great match but I don't think it's a you know match of the year contender yeah Dave went five and a quarter that's fucking crazy bro <laughs> how <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna say we take a break on excursion match of the week and talk about it off air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, that's going to be it for this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to uh, review Lone Star Shootout. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media on X. We are at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex and follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex on Instagram at social suplex on Reddit. I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at social suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumowitz. Imp's WWE Adventure with the Implications, Matthew Mayer. And there will be a, a new show starting this week. So subscribe and be on the lookout for that uh, midweek this week on the network feed. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's you, Bob. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.